What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. I recently got back from the Bitcoin 2022 conference in Miami. It was an amazing time. It's always so awesome to hang out with other Bitcoiners. The event was massive. There was so many cool events happening around uh, the conference. So many great people around. It's always uh, the word nourishing is the one that se people seem to be using a lot uh, for how it feels to be spending so much time with Bitcoiners. And I think I can get down with that word because it just feels awesome. But it takes a little while to uh, come back down after you leave that environment because it's so unique and so special. But anyways, this show is brought to you by the guys at bullbitcoin.com. If you're in Canada and you want to buy Bitcoin, this is the place to do it. Bull Bitcoin is a non-custodial exchange, which means when you make the purchase order, you input a receive address. So as soon as the Bitcoin is bought, it goes directly to your own self-custody. Speaking of which, if you need a little help with that, if you're not super confident about your self-custody or your security setup, the same guys operate bitcoinsupport.com where they have a variety of choices and packages available to choose from to help make sure that you get your Bitcoin self-custody arrangement set up securely, but also in a manner that you're gonna be comfortable interacting with. Whether you choose to get some help with it or you choose to go to loan, the Cold Card Bitcoin Hardware Wallet by CoinKite is an excellent and trusted tool to have in your Bitcoin self-custody toolkit. This is the primary choice for the guys at bitcoinsupport.com. It's a primary choice for a lot of experienced Bitcoiners they have an excellent brand and name and track record in the space. And they recently dropped the MK4 version of the cold card hardware wallet. With this version, you have a USB-C connector. You have NFC tap for all data types, PSBT, address, etc. You have a dual secure element. You have a USB virtual disk mode and lots of other fun stuff and features that, of course, we've all come to expect from the team at Coldcard and CoinKite. Visit CoinKite.com to learn more and, of course, check out all the other awesome products they have for helping you engage with your Bitcoin more securely and also having a bit of fun while you're at it. Anyways, that's it. Enjoy the show. Let's do it. We're dealing with some lag issues here, so we'll just have to make it work given our sporadic internets. But how's everybody doing? It was fucking great to see everyone at the conference, by the way. Let's start with that. Oh, dude. So, so good to fucking see you guys. You know, like, especially when we were hanging out at that party, I was just like, yeah, this is this is the shit right here. Like, this is the best. I was, you know, I was thinking about that party because I'll just say it, we were at the Michael Saylor barbecue or whatever, and we were like hanging out on his yacht with, you know, which is like fucking bizarre, you know, everything. But I was thinking to myself, I was like, hmm, the Bitcoin journey has been really interesting for me. It's like, okay, uh, I started speaking my mind when I found Bitcoin, and I no longer get invited to family Thanksgivings. Okay, that's a that's a ding. But I do get invited to billionaire barbecues. Okay, that's interesting. You know, it <laughs> doesn't. <laughs> well, it makes you think you know, of Peterson's like thing, It wasn't right? barbecued at all. It was just like catered and, you know, people passing out shit. That's true. No, yeah. man, that was, you, that was legit, there was though. a barbecue down in the back. You had to line up for your burger and your steak and shit. Oh, yeah. All right. You were, well, they, you were right for next me to in it. last minute, John. <laughs> you were right fucking was next I? to it. I, yeah. You're, I'm just like too busy talking I was just to the like cramming my crazy shit down the prince's throat. Yeah, I, I like like halfway through like me just talking insane shit. Somebody's like, "Hey, you realize that's like the prince of Serbia, right?" I was like, "No, I just thought <laughs> was some random dude." I was just talking my insane shit to. Well, you seem to be having a good yeah, time. The, the the journey, the yeah, because yes, Hoddle, same thing with me. Like, I just kind of started spouting all of my craziest shit and for a long time i was just 
you know, isolated and that move like Eric's, he's been huffing a lot of paint lately. So like stay back from him. Uh, but like now people are like, no, like tell me more. And uh, it's a little fucked up too. Cause like I'm on this intellectual journey where like, I feel like I'm losing my mind. People are like, no, like keep going, like go farther. And I'm like, but I feel like I'm losing my shit. And they're like, yeah, like, keep going. You do it. So we don't have to. Yeah. I feel How's like it's getting voice? wackier too. It's better now. Finally, Jesus Christ. It was you fucked that, it that last that last night after the remnant dinner, I was absolutely. Yeah. You were speaking at like five X volume you the whole your... conference, but I didn't want to, I mean, it was glorious. So you, nobody if wanted. you ever lose your voice at a conference again, you got to get these things. With Fisherman's friend, friend lozenges. Classic. Mm. You get them at CBS two or three bucks. They save your life. I came home with, uh, I got Bring your voice back from the dead. Still have it a little bit right now. Uh, like Vic Quintino was like fist bumping everybody to not get sick, and I was like, "Fuck it, come in, give me a hug, man!" I was just <laughs> hugging everybody. <laughs> of course, I got fucking sick as shit. Man, it was much better than last year. I was laid up with the Rona for like ten days, near death last year after the conference. Dude. This year, I just you know had a bit of a come down and a sore throat. Yeah, pretty yeah. mild. Bitcoin events are super spreader events. It's it's okay. We can admit it. <laughs> well, but we're we're all like bouncing around our immunity between each other. So that's why like because like I feel like last year a lot of people were fucked up afterwards, whereas this year people were like, eh, like a sniffle or two, but that was it. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, you know, I just wanted to extend it, you know, but that's what makes these things special, is like they're time limited. But especially, you know, when we were all hanging out at the barbecue, like there was a hard stop on on the time of that barbecue and it wasn't the right time or place to do one of these, but you know, it's just so good to be hanging out with everybody, you know, you guys, and then everybody else who's mostly awesome. And it's uh, you know, when I finally, when, when I got to Miami and I brought dad, it really feels like, like coming home in some weird way. Like when you, when you hit the conference, I know there's all sorts of sh like shit coinery and all that kind of jazz, but like when, when you meet like the core people, like when you meet, the people that you know super well like it just feels so good oh dude you know i was talking about this i, I was talking to uh jeffrey swan who's guy swan's brother you know a lot uh, some people know him oh, yeah. not, not as many people do but super early og bitcoiner and uh, i was talking to him and guy and i was just basically like you know we used to bitcoin in the dark like meaning like it was just a bunch of us on our computers like writing back and forth to each other like you didn't know who was on the other end of the computer. You didn't know what you were, and you were just kind of trying to search through ideas. And, you know, you just, you felt very alone and isolated. And, you know, the Bitcoin price was much lower. There was much less fanfare, you know, like anytime it was mentioned on like a libertarian podcast, like we knew about it, right? Uh, but we didn't know each other because we were all kind of nervous and scared and paranoid to like actually meet each other in person. Some people were going to meetups early, early on. Uh, a lot of people were not because it was not best practice to do so right and so we were all staying anon and blah 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 and then we like did that alone for like five years and then we met each other and it was like this fucking cathartic like brother like i love oh my god like yes like and i think now we do a lot more bitcoining in the light like we're at a big conference in miami and everybody's hugging and kissing and being like i love bitcoin yeah bitcoin's the best like we never we didn't used to do that back in the day because we thought the government was going to make it illegal at any point and we'd all be fucked right so we didn't want to advertise that we had bitcoin or whatever and Bitcoining in the light is certainly like a much better experience and phenomenon. But I do have to ask myself, um, 
is it worse for, I don't know, like the individual Bitcoiner journey? Because doing it in the dark by yourself was such a fucking crucible. Uh, and you really had to be hardcore and principled and have a fundamental under like analysis of it to get through that time period. And now if you show up at the party and it's just all good times, is it going to be as easy for you to like hodl through the, the tough stretches? Because like there are more tough stretches coming. It's not going to be all just, you know, yacht parties forever. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I don't think it is the same experience, though, if you don't even if you didn't gain that conviction through hardship. I feel like it's not the same experience if you don't de facto have that. So like when, when we're talking about seeing everybody and the big hugs and having like just a, this big giant love fest, I feel like if you're one of the people that feels that with everyone else who feels that you're probably ride or die, like, you know, you're it's like, you'll go down with the ship or you'll go to the moon. Like, and I hate that, that terminology, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not, it's not just like, oh, this is a cool little counterculture. I, I feel like being a part of this, this is fun. Like, I feel like the feelings that we have with one another and that we meet like the real, our real homies at the conference, like there's, there's definitely an unspoken thing going on there. That's more than just like, I'll be a part of this thing now. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, now you, you yeah. could be right. I mean, maybe there is a future where, you know, which Eric continuously reminds us of that we might all be black bagged in the future. And maybe we don't want to be so public about all this, but for now it's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. I um. Oh, go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was just going to say like, it, it's like, I think we're in this like interesting lull period where we're like, yeah, like we're winning, like we're going to take over money. And like, uh, <laughs> like the pro Bitcoining going on the conference is really interesting for has so many people be like, yeah, I like Bitcoin, like buy my shit coin. Like that was literally my mantra. I was like saying mm -hmm. to myself, I was walking around. I was like, I like Bitcoin, buy my shit coin. I like Bitcoin, buy my shit coin. And it's provided a great cover, but you know, I, I really do think that, uh, what do you mean? Like you even were, one, you like were the, saying that to people? Like, what, what do you mean? That was your mantra? Well, no, like as my mantra internally to like prepare myself for the, those encounters. Cause like uh, that would keep like, oh, hey, what's up? Like, I love Bitcoin. Like, have you heard about my NFT thing? And I was like, oh my fucking God, like kill me. <laughs> um, so like, that was just like the mantra I was saying to prepare myself to it, not to, you know, cultivate it. But right. uh, it, it's provided a great distraction. Uh, but I mean, uh, the powers of B are going to like recognize what's going down at some point. They're going to be like 6102s motherfuckers and like black bag them. And like, I, I don't know, I maybe, hope I'm wrong, maybe, but like, I just- maybe. Like, I can't see, like, I can't just see the powers of BB like, oh, no, like, we lost. You got, like, I guess the Bitcoiners win. Like, come on, come on in, guys. Here's the White House. Like, John Vallis, tell us what to do now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you guys heard Neil Katyal um, speak. There was a clip of Jimmy Song reacting to Neil Katyal after, which people might have seen, <laughs> which was fucking, I mean, it's just fantastic, right? It's like, we have this constitutional yeah. law, like, Supreme Court lawyer, and he gives us his best take. And then Jimmy Song's like, that was a bunch of bullshit. Fuck this guy. Fuck everything about it. You know, it's like, welcome to Bitcoin, bro. But, um, you know, he basically gave this false uh, presupposition, I thought, which was, you know, he was saying like, you know, you can't use uh, property right, like free speech and property rights as a defense against regulation from Bitcoin. And my thing was like, nobody's saying that's a defense against regulation from Bitcoin. We're saying that's a defense against an outright ban of Bitcoin. So like for me, when we talk about like getting 6102 or whatever, I don't think there's a legal precedent or an ability or a pathway for them to outright ban Bitcoin 
but certainly there is a lot of room for them to put all sorts of terrible regulations and attempt to co-opt Bitcoin. And that's what we need to be girding against. I, I think people are sometimes confused about what the fight is. That's the fight, is not getting dystopian regulation. Yeah, I agree. But it's also the case that a lot of wealthy and powerful people are starting to fill up their bags with this thing. Mm. And that's a huge line of defense, I think. You know, who again, who knows how all this is going to play out, but you got to be pretty much retarded in the world today not to be buying Bitcoin. And, you know, most super wealthy people are not retarded. Like there's, there's some obvious examples, you know, but from my interactions with people in that class, you know, political or financial clout over the course of, well, my life. And then over the last in Miami, a lot of people are getting this now and it's going to be tough to regulate against those people because they have a lot of clout with regulators and they're in the room for the conversation of the conversations with people who write the laws or put forward laws and regulations. So, and this has always been part of, you know, the, the defense of Bitcoin, but I don't know, maybe they will just let the Trojan horse walk right in and, you know, we'll just wake up 10 years from now and it'll basically be a fait accompli. That's the I'm, idea. I'm That's curious, the hope. But, Rob, because you, you know, you, you did your thing with, with Jordan. I'm curious how much you feel like you, you know, like a hundred percent, he's like full orange pilled, ready to like, you know, write or die kind of thing. And I'm just curious where you think he's at. Cause I, you know, I know that you did a good job kind of getting them backed in, but I didn't hear kind of the, the conclusion of what your thoughts were. Congrats, by the way, on that. That was a yeah, massive a, coup. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And thank you, John, for opening. Thank you guys for your support. It was a long time coming together, but uh, it seems like it worked out well. We're going to be releasing the episode soon. Um, so I don't know where he's at, honestly. Like, it seems... One of the things I like most about Jordan, I think a lot of people like about him is that he really tries to be hypercritical about things, really tries to take arguments apart, um, doesn't accept things at face value, right? Really does the, the deep inquiry, I guess. And it seems like with Bitcoin, he's kind of taking that position um, that he's you know attacking it from multiple angles in his mind, but hasn't been able to really find the, the chink in the armor as most of us have been through. Um, but he also, I guess, you know, one point he said was that he thought if it succeeds, the, the implications are just so radical that that lends him to believe that it, it has a small probability of success. So I don't know exactly what's going on between the years for Mr. Peterson, but it does seem like he gets it. Like he gets it enough to no separation of money and state would be a really really big deal would really reorganize the the hierarchy um but it seems like maybe he's plugging a gap in his economics understanding where we think there's a lot of economic uh incentives and pressures that drive the the success of bitcoin over time you know we talk about them a lot i don't think he has that clarity perhaps um sorry it says my internet's unstable Hope it's coming through all right. You're, you're good. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I hope that the conversation at least gave him a little bit more of the orange pill. Um, I don't want to comment on one thing Eric said. You're talking about the powers that be. We talk about that a lot. But I, I think it's we have to be careful there because it's very easy to just 
put that in that aggregate the powers that be in one collective whole and in our mental model we think they move in some coordinated fashion like it's one big you know leviathan we're, we're fighting against but it's not really it's just all these factions of interest that are divided amongst themselves as well you know like i think it more more of it like family dynasties and um you know political factions and things like that some of them that we draw a line around and say oh this is the united states but it's really you know who owns the shares in the central bank and those types of families that matter so this whole idea of they're not being a the powers of be are not a single indivisible whole, right? It's groups of people competing amongst themselves. And when you throw in the asymmetry of just holding Bitcoin versus attacking Bitcoin, the, I guess the thesis I have on that is it sort of, it starts to tear those factions apart. Like the economic interests that held them together, like glue, it's like all of a sudden, um, they have to start buying some Bitcoin, even if they're, even if they're hedged against its success, you know, as I've described in, in some of my writing where like, if you're a central banker and you think Bitcoin has a 1% chance of success and you need to allocate some capital into it, even to just protect yourself as an insurance policy against it. So I think all of, as Bitcoin starts to permeate uh, those, I guess, call them private factions more deeply, it just changed, the incentives change them, right? So I don't, I don't know, I, maybe it's naive optimism, but I don't think we're going to have this unilateral onslaught from the powers that be. I think the powers that be are just going to get dissipated by Bitcoin over time. One can hope. I, I have often like conceptualized uh, power as sort of like a table, right? And like the powerful people are sitting at the table. And I think that, the, you know, every, every generation, there's sort of a revolution for who gets to sit at that table and it takes different forms and, Usually the best you can do in any given revolution is you can get about half the seats at the table. And I think that's sort of where Bitcoin is, is heading because like one thing that we don't often talk about is it's very fun to like throw up lava, have fun staying poor at a fiat billionaire on Twitter or whatever, but like they have the ability if they're smart to port their wealth, uh, their fiat wealth into Bitcoin. So it's just, when do you decide to, to join the Bitcoin story? If you never do, you're not, you're going to lose your seat at the table. If you do halfway, you're going to, you know, maintain your seat at the table. And if you do it early, like a Michael Saylor, you're going to have a much larger, you know, seat at the table, basically. Yeah. One of the things I was at, you know, a, a couple of dinners throughout the course of the week. And it, we're not talking about like the top of the power hierarchy, but, you know, a powerful table. And one of the things I remarked at the end of the dinner was that we can often, not even fall into the trap. I'm sure it's some kind, sometimes the case that like powerful people sit around that table looking to divide up the world, right? Like, you know, they're trying to, this is yours. This, you know, they collude in various ways, whether it's the oil people or the top political central banking cartel, whatever. And I kind of remark like we're sitting around a table like somewhat similar to that. And the, the whole topic of our discussion was how do we bring this tool of peace prosperity and freedom to more people in more parts of the world more quickly like that's what we were conspiring to do and i just i just had to say like it's fucking beautiful that that's what's happening here you know at a at a table that outsiders might think are oh the select few trying to do everything to you know to divide up things for themselves well, and there's the that's there's nice to this, hear because oh go ahead 
I was just going to say it's nice to hear because I think particularly with the the sort of socialist rhetoric that you're given there's always you know as Robert was saying there's like a they and like the ruling class and I think that that really uh even if you don't believe it like that still can kind of pollute some of your thinking that you can think well you know like if somebody's got hundreds of millions of dollars they obviously kind of need to think that way but hearing that kind of reassures me a bit more of that like no like they're they're sort of caught in this mess in the same way. And I think what's even more interesting is that uh, like now there's this very important precipice in front of them of like, okay, like I can, I gotta like take my, you know, $300 million and figure out like how to get that all into Bitcoin and select and selectfully allocate it in a thoughtful way that like, I'm also not hampering my general business operations. And uh, yeah, I mean, that that's the kind of stuff that really keeps me, you know, like turn towards the light in terms of being like, okay, like maybe we can actually like win this in like a pretty bloodless coup kind of way. So it's nice to hear. I I think that one of the things I I often uh, uh, think about is, you know, I was just reading it in the MIT technology review and it was basically saying that, you know, crypto is a failed revolution. And it's mainly talking about NFTs and Web3 and stuff. And like, it's saying that crypto is a failed revolution because, you know, really like these new technologies are are just, uh, you know, they're pushed by the people who already have power as a way to further consolidate their power, et cetera, et cetera. And I do think that that, that is true in, in air quotes, crypto land, right? But it's not necessarily true in Bitcoin land. Like, is, here's, the, here's the part that's true. Everybody in, in Bitcoin land is driven by, by greed, by human greed, right? But the Bitcoin system has judoed our greed for benefit of the whole, our individual greed for benefit of the whole, which is the beautiful way in which the invisible hand in capitalism is supposed to work, right? And so it's like when you look at, you know, people say Bitcoin's incentivized by, by uh, you know, power. Uh, sorry, Bitcoin's secure, securitized by power. It's not really securitized by power. It's actually securitized by human greed because it's a computer system in which the incentive is to make the system stronger rather than attack the system. It's the first one that's like that. And it's the only one that's really like that. You know, there are often attacks that happen in, in altcoin land, right? So, yeah, do I have some marginal human greed in order to get you into the Bitcoin system? Absolutely. Right. But do I think that getting you into Bitcoin makes your life more prosperous? Also, definitely. Yes. And I also practice what I preach. So I'm not dumping on anybody. And if this thing fails, I go to fucking zero, too. You know? Yeah. You know, like, like, is that actually greed, though? Like that, like that stuff. This is the stuff that I find really fascinating. Yeah, that's an interesting question. It's it's hijacked and like inverted it because. Well, like, yeah, like there there is that component that exists kind of as the baseline. Like, I don't think any of us are here doing all of our crazy shit just because we're like, haha, like number will go up more. Right. Like, I, I think we realistically understand that, like, this is greed in so far that, like, I can see deep into posterity that, like, this makes the world, like, a better place for, like, everybody across the board. And, like, that's my quote, yeah. quote, greed. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, it, it's really a beautiful human endeavor that not only do we see this, but we're participating in a meaningful way towards I, it. I, I think it comes down to time preference. I've thought about this a bit. Like I think in the short term, um, let's say if I bought Bitcoin at, you know, 200 and flipped it at 400 or, you know, whatever, 20,000 flipped at 40,000, like, yeah, that would be greed. Right. But like in over the long term, if I really seek to be long term greedy, I end up creating a better world most of the time. Right. And so then do you reach this philosophical conclusion that your greed has transformed into something different? And I think maybe the answer is yes. I don't know what the word is for it, though. Well, it's I mean, the question is kind of like, where is the line between self-interest and greed? 
right? And I think mm. maybe, maybe that's like somewhat of an impossible line to answer. But what's interesting about Product the differences in property. <laughs> property. <laughs> property. That's yeah. the line. That's the line. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Well, so so you're only greedy if you attempt to gain via the violation of other people's property. You're not greedy if you attempt to gain as much as you possibly can within the confines of your own without violating property. Is that the line for you? Yeah, hear me again. Yeah, we got you. You're coming here a little glitch, but we got you. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would just the series I did with Max the ethics of liberty by rothbard i mean rothbard has laid this shit out pretty clean clean granted it's not a bright line the line between i guess persuasion and coercion or you know as you said self-interest and greed it's subtle in some respects but he's he goes through actual jurisprudence of what it would look like you know he's going through like boycotting and and bribery and blackmail and all these different edge case situations where you're like well was that was that persuasion was that coercion was that great and he's managed to make a pretty compelling case that there is a, a line to follow that's you know person and property mm. so the the theory there at least i think in capitalism is like everyone should pursue their own self-interest maximize their own self-interest within the limiting principle of other people's private person and property as long as yeah. you're not hurting anyone or stealing from anyone, you want to maximize your own profit and, and net worth. And that actually means like if you're doing it within the bounds of private property, that you're actually maximally enriching the collective in the process. Because if I'm, if I'm running a profitable business, it's not violating anyone's property rights. That means I'm solving a lot of fucking problems very efficiently. So not only am I getting rich in the process, but I'm also selling that knowledge into the market. So yeah. it's not, I mean, it's somewhat abstract, but it's also kind of intuitive in a way. I think. No, I think that's a fair response. What I was going to say about that is what's interesting because we talk about this Trojan horse and, you know, the, the wealthy and powerful people may be starting to get on board. I think at least a part of that, what I've been picking up is that because you don't want to be a billionaire and not have a flourishing, you know, dynamic economy to you know, be a billionaire in to have all the nice things that being a billionaire you. Like, yeah, affords you, you know, so you, you don't want to be so greedy such that you break the entire system. But if the system is breakable and corruptible as it is now, then it's almost inevitable that enough greed, you know, will and corruption will at some point corrupt it and break it down. And I think a lot of those sort of people are starting to realize, oh shit, like we might be at the point where I need to I need to consider the system rather than my own solely my own wealth because we maybe we're at the point where it's breaking down and I want to be a billionaire and have lots of options not a bit be a billionaire and have everyone coming for me and have no options. So I think this is perhaps part of the reason why they're focusing on something that might be an alternative or the next iteration of the system i.e. bitcoin um, and why they you know and I agree with, you know, in the Bitcoin system, like how should we define greed? I think that's probably a good line. The question that comes to my mind after that is the person like the ascetic, right? Versus the person who is, you know, providing a service and, uh, you know, trying to become wealthy as a result of providing value to the market. What is the differential there? And this is probably like, this probably gets into the idea of value or values, but like, 
what is the difference in approach into the accumulation of things to the self, right? Into the one's approach to their own self-interest between an ascetic and a highly driven entrepreneur. Let's say, you know, just to use an example, like Elon Musk, I'm sure he's not perfect, but like, let's say he's just driven to create and build and innovate in a market. What do you think is the difference between those two examples? And the first thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, Socrates was notable for his poverty, you know, and he made, basically made the point that in having no possessions, he was free from any influence whatsoever. But I don't, like, okay, that makes sense if you're fucking archetypal philosopher Socrates and you're trying to just philosophize to the max, right? You don't want anything diluting you from that. But that doesn't work for most <laughs> The rest of us, basically. Um, so, and then if you look at an Elon Musk, you know, we, we did, or he was in that clubhouse room, I don't know, it was like a year ago, maybe. He was saying his life, like, it's like, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It's really hard. You know, he's basically, and we saw this with Sailor too, like they're running a small country, mm -hmm. right? Sailor gets out of bed, he's got fucking two personal assistants. 10 house staff, security guards, 2,000 employees, like a lot of expectations are attached to him. Um, so that's clearly going to be uh, uh, pulling you a lot of directions, right? Whereas Socrates clearly doesn't have to deal with any of that. But Sailor is also solving real problems in the real world in a way that would increase the human treasury of knowledge, presumably, you know, and benefit us going into the future from a purely at least a purely economic or pragmatic standpoint so i don't it just seems like to be purely pragmatic again 99.9 .9 infinity percent humans need to follow the entrepreneurial path at least to some extent or work for someone following that entrepreneurial path versus just being this possessionless ascetic philosopher I just don't think most well, people I, do that. I, I think what's interesting is how these two kind of actually connect. Cause like in the concurrent world, like, you know, the Michael Saylors and Elon Musk, like, yeah, like it's gotta be hard to like have this shitload of money, have all these employees, like need to be constantly iterating to like create more cash flow. And because you're fighting against this system that that's always losing money, like that's the only way to continue to acquire wealth. Whereas like when you go back to hard money standards, like if you've actually had a family dynasty that like has any fucking logic about it, they've been able to save up money in a meaningful way. So that like, if you choose the aesthetic like life of Socrates and want to pursue those things, it actually becomes a realistic possibility again. Whereas like, you know, any of us who had our grandfathers like leave us a decent amount of money in bonds or whatever, like we're, we're just fucked on that. And so they're, you know, like this is the thing that I think is so interesting about modernity is the way it captures all of us and we're all supposed to play the money game because of how fucked up money is and it becomes about cash flow. And so like now renewing the world by going back to a hard money standard that's free, fair, global and transparent for everybody. I feel like these things actually get married back into each other because, you know, now the possibility of the Elon Musk and the Michael Saylors, like if they want to exit, there, there's a meaningful possibility to be able to do that in the same way that there's a meaningful possibility for somebody to start saving their wealth in Bitcoin and know that that's going to be an accrued savings over time as opposed to the, you know, the infinite uh, evaporation of it as the concurrent system wants from us.
this this maps on somewhat to the point Peterson made in our conversation was he does see clearly that fiat currency inflation essentially is penalizing prudence, right? If you're the saver and you're the, the smart capitalist and you're stocking away a lot of savings and capital and solving problems, well, then you get fucking wiped out by hyperinflation. Like it just, it tilts the incentives the opposite direction from what you want them, obviously. So you're in that situation, it's actually more practical to take on a bunch of debt and consume and all of this, which is not at all what we want in a, a truly advancing civilization. And I think this, like, this is why I've been beating this drum about fiat currency as self-deception. Like, if you look at it from the, the scope of humanity, we've been trying to take the, the path of least resistance or get something for nothing. And it's always been a very alluring or tempting proposition to just print money right especially when you're in the position to do so even if it's just at the margins initially it makes things look better it's stimulative it fucks with our our nominal valuation of the world where we see nominal value going up we think things are fine right i've got more dollars than i did yesterday i'm better off um but that you know again so mises tied all that to the boom and bust business cycle that's austrian business cycle theory but we've also had boom and bust of civilization premised on that. So it's like a bunch of really smart people get together. We have a hard money standard. We solve a lot of problems. We create an abundant civilization to a greater or less extent across time. But then the corruption sets in, right? There's problems. There's, there's a little bust along the way. And we try to cover up those busts by printing money. And then it starts this reverse down cycle. Um, so we've just been... It's like a drug. We're like drug addicts. We can't resist this idea of just, just print the money. Just print the money and solve the problem and move on. But ultimately, it's humanity you know, cutting off their, their nose to spite their face. Well, what's, what's interesting about this is that self-deception actually uh, you know, concurs a lot of advantage in evolutionary game theory. And so basically, like if everybody in the tribe is supposed to go look for food, and you come back, you, you go jerk off in the woods and you come back and be like, dudes, I looked for food really hard today, right? Like, but you're a bad liar. People are going to kill you, right? So you have to become a good liar. And in order to become a good liar, you have to truly believe that you looked for food. You're like, I didn't jerk off on that squirrel. No, I looked for food all goddamn day. I'm a hard worker, right? And the truth is like, you didn't, right? And when everybody in the tribe goes off and jerks off in the woods and then comes back and says they look for food, you have nobody bringing food home to the tribe and then the tribe starves and dies. So too much self-deception in a society. You can have a few actors act this way, but when too many people are acting this way, you're going to have systemic collapse every single time. Well, there's this, there's this really interesting balancing too where, where a self-deception can be sort of the first step towards... Uh, like the real proof, you know, just like fake it till you make it. So maybe you go out in the woods and you like beat one off. You're like, yeah. oh, all right. Like now that I got that out of my system, I can like go hunt concentrated because like I'm not thinking about like banging out, you know, that that hottie back at camp. And like now that you're like focused, you like get the deer and you come back to camp, and you're like, check it out. I like killed the deer. I'm like, you know, hey, hottie, like check out my deer that I got. And, you know, now you get to go bang her out. Um, but I mean, like the, like, this is really interesting because, like, we have to ask, like, Satoshi Nakamoto, when he produced Bitcoin, like, was this a self-deception that, like, he had to force him? Because, like, there's that great quote where he says he had to, like, build the entire system first before he could convince himself it could work. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, like, you have to imagine, like, 
what kind of crazy shit was going on in his head as he's making it? He was like, doo, 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 like, gonna make a new global monetary standard that's gonna save humanity. Like, at what point did yeah. he like stop and be like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this is absolutely insane. Mm. You know, and he's like, but you know what? I'm a dog. Like, nobody believes I can do any of this shit anyway. So, like, back at it. You know, luckily, Hal was like, I like this Satoshi guy. He's great. He's like, <laughs> doesn't even know I'm a dog. It, it reminds yeah. me of that quote from Customato, who was Tyson's trainer, which is, you know, that the uh, the hero and the coward feel the same fear. It's how they respond to that fear that defines them, right? So it's basically mm-hmm. like, yeah, maybe Satoshi, you know, it's a crazy, it's a crazy fucking thing to think you're going to architect a new monetary system, right? So it's like, you know, you kind of do have to be a little bit self-deceiving in order to architect it, but then, you know, maybe that self-deception causes you to actually do the work to engineer the new monetary system, right? Like, I don't know. It's hard to get inside Satoshi's head. Like, I like to think of him as like an alien, you know, who just descended with like, <laughs> like we'll, well never it's a, know. It's a, it's a really good point on how anyone permits themselves to do anything in the face of like mm-hmm. the enormous humbling magnitude of the mass that is global culture and your experience of reality itself. Like, who are you to try to pursue any meaningful or valuable ends? And I, you know, I think we, we get into like a discussion or this is at least partially the function of like hero stories and stuff like that. And, and the values and principles mm-hmm. that are elicited from them to say, you can't always connect all the dots to, you know, whatever end you're desiring, nor can you always, you know, m- you can never, you may not even be able to rationalize doing anything, but there are, or any outcome rather like pursuing any particular outcome but there are certain principles by which to orient your behavior, to foster your behavior, let's say an orientation towards what is beautiful or good or truthful or honest or, or liberating and pursue them and let the, the road of outcome manifest itself accordingly. And perhaps acting in that way is the best possible way to constitute your action or your aims. And this actually goes back to, the question I was asking about like the difference between the ascetic and someone like Elon Musk, because I think at least in part, both are pursuing liberation, right? So the ascetic is saying, I'm going to relieve Mm. myself of desire of all forms of impediments, whether they be thoughts, physical manifestations, whatever, I'm going to do my best to eliminate any impediment that I have towards my liberation, my connection to the divine God, whatever you want to call it. And that's one approach let's say the billionaire approach is I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to seek liberation through maximizing my optionality through space and time, let's say. And, you know, there, there has been schools of thought throughout history that kind of uh, think the, the former is more valid and that the latter is some kind of illusion, right? Like the, the Cathars in, in Southern France in, I don't know, the 700s or something like that. Like they kind of had the, um, perspective that like the physical world was like the devil right and so you should kind of renounce all that and that's been a theme that's popped up throughout history but like one I don't want to believe that and two I don't think I do believe that like I don't think pursuing creativity or creation in the world like novel creation exploring God's creation if you will is inherently bad it's all about how you go about doing it Right. And so for me, you know, as I've been exploring this idea a lot with you, Eric, of like what constitutes right action, uh, how to go about applying yourself toward manifesting the results of right action in your life. And what is like 
the back and forth between the, you know, um, the liberation you might experience from nodding yourself, like self nodding, like annihilating the self versus almost amplifying the self such that it's able to pursue liberation in a different domain of consciousness or the world. And the former, I think, is easier to establish because, you know, people have had mystical experiences or meditation or, you know, transcendent love or whatever it is. The latter, because it involves interpersonal interactions, is more difficult to maybe uh, ascertain or like develop a certainty around how one should, you know, um, orient their actions or what they should pursue in that domain, because there's so many, there's so much subjectivity to it. It's funny that you say that because that uh, I think there's probably uh, I think most people. Hold up, hold up. Oh, go ahead, Robert. It's laggy. Oh, sorry. I might be. I might be lagging. Yeah, um, I was going to say I liked how Hodel brought up the hero and the coward, both feeling the same fear, but it's ultimately the choice of how they respond. Um. And this is one way that I've actually been thinking about responsibility, right? The ability to respond effectively. Um, and the guy that, you know, the, there's a difference here. This is the reason I think communism is inferior to capitalism ultimately, because capitalism has private property. And we, you know, we often say private property rights, but something else I talked to Peterson about, like every right is a responsibility, as he said. So when you have a private property right, you're simultaneously and commensurately responsible to take care of that asset, right? You get to enjoy the benefits that it creates, but you also have the responsibility to take care of it. So the guy that went and jerked off the, off the squirrel instead of hunting food, like that only works in a communist environment, right? Where there's some social contract and expectation that everyone does this thing and then they come back together and he could just abdicate on his responsibility and say well fuck it guys i still get to eat because i look for food and you have to take me my word but if he was operating in a capitalist environment he'd be going hungry right he's his pnl would have a hole in it and he would have to delay some gratification of some sort so you know it's this idea of property again we're back to it that it, it, it it's the implementation of rights and responsibilities in a socially coherent and equitable manner i guess it's just consistent with like whoever does the work that others find valuable gets the rewards and whoever does the work that others do not find valuable or does it inefficiently suffers the losses right it's just skin in the game so and the stronger ultimately we make that line like the stronger property is to violate the more expensive or risky it is to violate let's say the more you're creating an incentive for people to just go and do work, smart, good, efficient work, versus if property is not so expensive or risky to violate, then many people will just adopt that strategy, right? Like, I'll just, why would I make anything or take entrepreneurial risk, but I can just let others take the risk and I'll take their fucking, the fruits of their labor, mm -hmm. which is effectively what statism is, right? Um, and so I, I think to John's point, the ascetic and the entrepreneur are both seeking liberation from scarcity, ultimately, as we all are to some extent. But scarcity is, you know, again, it's wherever demand exceeds supply. 
So the ascetic is basically saying, fuck this, I'm going to reduce my demand to zero, reduce my desires to zero, right? I just want to wear rags and eat enough bread and water to survive. Whereas the entrepreneur is trying to increase supply, right? They're actually trying to create wealth, create abundance. Um, so it seems like maybe that's the common thread between the two. Like they are both seeking liberation, but I think it's liberation at least initially from economic scarcity for the ascetic, maybe that then transform that, that transcends into other forms of liberation, you know, spiritual liberation, selfhood, self-actualization, whatever the entrepreneur ends up just getting very rich by increasing supply. And then they have to figure out the same thing. They're still in Maslow's hierarchy. Like, Oh, they get all their basic needs met. Maybe they live very luxuriously, but then they still have to go out and find purpose and meaning and something to live for. Um, and, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm a big fan of Sailor is I think he's actually living for this movement. It's not just, he didn't need to do this. He didn't need to take this much risk. He didn't need to put this much skin and or soul in the game, yet he does. Um, so I think that's something worth admiration. Something I wanted to bring up was, um, you know, John had made this point about, you know, you basically give yourself like permission uh you know to change your life like and i think that's been the hardest thing for me is like in orange pilling people like people don't want to give themselves the permission to like have a better existence basically and i'm curious about you guys and like how you because at that moment of like first purchase of bitcoin you're essentially like giving yourself permission for a different life like the the audacity of hope you know what i mean like where does that like come from and like how was it for you and your experience i mean <laughs> for me like this shit's like the the craziest possible thing that could result like it, it was it was pretty much like my life fucking sucks i hate who i am there's no exit at all i live in darkness and I'm absolutely fucked. Um, here's this like nascent like magic internet money that like I don't really understand how or why it's functioning. But like I get people can buy drugs with it and like not find themselves in prison. So there's like something working here that's important. Uh, you know, and so I take my first bite and I'm like, oh wow, this is like pretty good. And then like I start eating more and I'm like, oh, this is like really fucking good. And then like I start looking at it more, and I was like. This is more than good. Like this is like the ultimate, ultimate and infinite nourishment. This is like the, the fucking apple of knowledge. And like it's just been a descent farther and farther down in there. And uh, you know, for me, this last conference was so incredible because like I just like laid my fucking bananas crazy shit out there. Well, you know, like so many times I go to people, I'd be like, you get that Bitcoin's the return of the Messiah on Earth to like reunite humanity to like a global collective where we all have like a fair opportunity to use utilize money as a shilling point to like organize us to to move away from violence as a means and they're just like yeah i'm like oh like you realize like that's fucking insane right and like yeah you know, but, you know i get i get it and i was like oh okay cool so what do you think about that they're like yeah it's cool i like it it's good i'm like okay so i mean i don't know and like i honestly believe at this point in time like we're uh we are part of a very important 
class of small people who will be remembered throughout the rest of human history as like the fucking crazy people that helped introduce and spread the gospel of a new and good form of money. And uh, it's very bombastic for me to say that, but like, I, I don't know, like I keep reading all this crazy philosophy because to me like this, I'm just trying to figure out if this is true. And the deeper that I go and the more complicated philosophy I get to, uh, like each time it just resonates deeper and deeper to where I'm like, okay, I, I guess like I'm not fucking insane. Like, I am insane, but my particular brand of insanity was like the sort of magic that was needed for me to extricate myself from this darkness. And so like, I literally believe at this point in time that God made me crazy. So I'd invest in this thing to extricate myself from my life circumstances. And that like my purpose now is to fully commit myself to my idea of who and what God is and what his intended purpose is for me on this planet, which is talking about my insane belief that Bitcoin not only is the messiah to reunite humanity, but it's the best option that we have to make a beautiful world that is beyond the darkness of fiat. And people seem to like it. So, hey, what, why I must be even crazier than Eric, because everything that comes out of Eric's mouth, I agree with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the first thing we have to say about like assessing one's insanity is what the fuck are you comparing it to? If you're comparing it to the mass of the world outside, then I think you should, you know, be pretty gentle or like be pretty flexible with yourself because that's a, that's a really bad sounding board to use for your own insanity, you know? But the question then becomes like, well, cause we're talking about our, like, what is a rational or reasonable or truthful perspective to have as a human being basically. And that, you know, that question goes all the way down to the deepest philosophical pursuits or the deepest religious or theological pursuits, which is why, Eric, you, Hoddle, you, Rob, you, me, we all are pursuing those lines of thinking and reasoning because that's the question. You know, basically, what is truth? What is the most reasonable thing that I can use to orient my perspective towards truth in the world in the best way possible? And that's like, that's been the question forever. That's what everyone wants to know. And what do we make of this thing that's emerging in the world that is a representation of what seems to be the best principles by which to orient that perspective or to construct that perspective. You know, and I think part of the reason, and you know, I think we've all talked about this privately, but like the, like, uh, the Messiah was the word made manifest, right? The word made flesh. Those primary principles transmuted into a person such that other people could witness it and, and learn from it and, you know, follow it in, in various ways. And of course, you know, organized religion, institutionalized religion, many critiques to be had about that. But what do we make about the emergence of another thing that has as its, you know, fundamental basis, these same principles of truth and freedom and, you know, equality and connectedness and fairness, et cetera, manifest in such a thing and accruing value so rapidly by virtue of everybody wanting to have a, a part of it, be a part of it, and that it's upgrading our own, it's helping us develop a perspective around that eternal question of how should I orient my perspective in the world such that it leads to the best outcome for myself and the people that I share an environment, a culture, a country, a market with. Like, 
you know, that's what it's doing. And, and, and I think that's why we're so compelled to have these conversations and to pursue these lines of thinking, because again, what's more important. So when we ask the question or to answer your question, Hala, like, how do you give yourself permission? For me, I mean, I think step one is letting go of any kind of rigid conception of who you are, or what your perspective is, because if you do that, you're going to contain yourself, you know, you can make a prison of your own making, and you're not going to get very far. And, this, you know, so but then it, if you don't have those parameters of your own self conception, it's like, you're just a blob, right? So you need some parameters, you need something to orient that perspective, you need some, something to determine how you should act and move through the world. And I think we allow ourselves the opportunity to receive the grace of these higher values and principles by aligning or subordinating ourselves to them to the extent that we understand how to do that. And so if you, if you do do that, if you say, I'm going to subordinate myself to truth, or I'm going to subordinate myself to peace or something like that, i.e. I'm going to sacrifice my own time, energy, and opportunities to pursue even those ends, even occasionally at the expense of what I think are best for my own ends to accrue to my version of myself. And I, you know, I understand that's by no means a simple task. And we can even discuss if it's a rational task to, to do. But if we do do that, I think when you encounter things of such great value, be it love, friendship, beauty, the principles uh, represented in Bitcoin, you're almost automatically drawn to integrate them and pursue them to the extent that you're capable of. And so mm. by virtue of that, you don't have to grant yourself permission because you've opened up the gates already to pursue what it represents or something, something like that. Totally. I, I, I yeah, for me, I think it's like, worth. Go ahead. Ola. No, I, I was just going to say uh, on the point about like, you know, anchoring yourself to an ideal, like, um, I, I anchored myself to truth. That's my life. I'm, I've been anchored to it forever. As long as I can, I can remember, uh, every, every time I lied, uh, you know, and I did a lot as everybody does, like it, it was, uh, destructive to me internally and would set me off on the wrong course. And so what I found in, in anchoring myself to truth is that the world fucking hates the truth and it hates people that tell the truth. And it's like, it's been a, quite a lonely path. So that's why I feel, you know, such brotherhood with uh, other Bitcoiners like like you guys who, you know, seek truth as a virtue and seek to tell the truth because it's only in understanding what's actually happening that we can even begin to have some sort of a modicum of course correction and get on the right path, you know? Well, this like this night of the dark soul, if you will, of uh, like needing to, to pursue truth and, and like, have it be all kind of fucked up and have people hate you. Like this, this was all like a really important pursuit and path to like realize it actually was a meaningful thing. Um, and I mean, for me particularly, like going through all of this and then finally like meeting other people who are like, yay, like Bitcoin, we love, you know, like it made it all the more meaningful to be like, oh, like, you know, pursuing this has been a meaningful pursuit for me and that there is something good here and other people do see this and, um, I, I think it, it's, it's of particular importance in our day and age because like, I don't think it can be understated like just how absolutely fucked up and full of lies and deceit and deception this world is. Like, like if you take the normie perspective, uh, 
like I thought it uh, I'm trying to remember who, who was fighting with people online recently about the idea of that like taxation is just stripped theft and extortion and to, like see the amount of fucking mental gymnastics going on with people about like no it's like a great thing like like this is a fucked up distorted world that we live in where people are like yeah like like paying taxes and inflation is like a great thing because you get roads and that like they're literally that retarded that they can't like make connect the dots to be like maybe roads don't cost trillions of dollars and like maybe these warplanes and shit are like kind of expensive like most people can't do that and so like that that's all the more meaningful to actually sit down and just like no this is like fucked up and wrong you're like stealing my money and then blowing up brown people with it because you don't like what they stand for in the world so get fucked i don't want to participate anymore um and it's great to like see other people be like yeah right on as opposed to like me out in normie world i have people be like no you can we have to be gentle and the only way that we can stop the state is if we if we hold their hand and say pretty please can you stop killing the brown people because they're not as bad as you think you know like that's how most people think the world changes is, is that like you fucking whine and you keep whining and then you whine some more and then you like win i don't know how they got to that conclusion but they think they seem to think that that's how it works I don't know, maybe it's woke culture that's like affected everything because that does seem to actually kind of work. Rob, you were- I just keep um, hearing the, I don't know if it was H.G. Wells or someone else, the more a society drifts from the truth, the more it hates those who speak it. And at this point in my Bitcoin journey, it's so painfully obvious that fiat deviates us from truth. Uh, it's hard. I, I just bang my head against the wall when I see things now occurring. And and I mean that very practically, right? Like the American pragmatist, truth is the end of inquiry. Another way to say that is like whatever works. So you need to keep asking questions and trying new things and whatever works is at least the pragmatic truth. It doesn't, doesn't have to be the capital T transcendental truth, but it's a pragmatic truth in the sense that that's what works. But when you stop asking questions because someone said, fuck you, here's the answer. This is the law. Do it because I said so. You're literally creating a schism between our ability to discover truth and our action in the world. And that just, I mean, it rips us apart, rips us apart internally, externally, et cetera. And, and on the topic of insanity, um, I think this is very important that we often think there's like sane, insane, some objective term but also not, right? Like with the, there's things that cultures do today that we would all sit here in the West and say, it's fucking insane. Like they eat dogs, they're fucking insane. Why would you do that? But to them, they've been doing it for thousands of years. It's no big deal. Um, there's a great little vignette in the, the book Leela, the story of the Bru Brujo, Brujo, B-R-U-J-O. And he was basically this Native American guy that grew up in kind of a Western um upbringing so then when he came back to the native american tribe he had all these cultural ways about him that were very foreign to his tribe and so at first they hated him right they like strung him up by his thumbs to the point where he was partly crippled and they you know despised the way he was in, in a lot of ways but over time this is in the new world so the white people were steadily taking over more and more of the land and eventually he became this indispensable um liaison between a new culture and the old culture so he became like the mayor of the town so there's this i'm, I'm 
not doing it perfect justice here. It's a great story. I encourage you to go read it. But the moral is this guy that was designated, you know, uh, diagnosably insane due to his cultural norms at one point in history, a few decades later, was the mayor of the town. Like you needed that guy more than anyone because of the circumstances the culture faced. Two, two value systems or two cultures colliding um, calls forth different competencies, right, to deal with, with the changing environment. So, uh, yeah, are Bitcoiners insane relative to fiat world? Of course we are, right? We're seeing in fiat world, government resolution, law, coercion, like that's the solution to everything, right? What's the, what's the solution to climate change? Carbon tax credits, right? What's the solution to the COVID pandemic? Print more money. So are we insane relative to that? Well, fuck yeah, we're insane relative to that because we don't believe in any of that nonsense. Um, but it's, I don't know, I guess the, the thing about Bitcoin, again, if we think that the pragmatic truth is just whatever works, ultimately Bitcoin is making it such that violence works less effectively as a wealth acquisition strategy. Mm-hmm. So violence has just worked to acquire wealth for most of history, but now thanks to Bitcoin in theory, it would, it would make it work less. Um, and I guess to try and tie this to, to Hodel's question, I don't know. I don't know. Like, does it, is it giving yourself permission when you just speak freely? I feel like it's almost like dispensing with a notion of permission in a way you're like, I used to kind of measure my words and measure my audience, try to curate my message for this situation, that situation, and try to instrumentalize it in a way that creates an outcome that I desire. And now it's like, I just take all that complex of shit and fucking throw it in the heap. And like, I'm just going to say it. Well, that's fucking subordinating like, whatever it is. Truth, and let, right? let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, yeah. So long as I'm aligned, right? Like it feels good in the gut and the heart and the mind. And it could just, of course, you're going to misstep. You'll have to retract things as we all do. But just it, it dispenses with all of that cognitive or even spiritual dissonance we suffer trying to navigate fiat world where you're like, Oh, this guy's really important. I need to talk this way. And then, Oh, this girl knows so-and-so and I'm trying to get in on this deal. It's like, fuck it's all so that. Like, it's just it's noise. So nice to be you can, free you from cleanse that. cleanse yourself of all this noise. Yeah, man. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's so a... great to not be involved in any of that shit. Like when you meet someone who's super wealthy, super powerful, whatever, like you don't have to be thinking like all these different things. Like what, how can I gain from this and that? You're like, no, let's just, I want, I want to, connect on the basis like the most truthful basis we can where our interests align and further that further our understanding in whatever domain absent any of those uh considerations and it's awesome because you end up building way better relationships with people unsurprisingly totally i mean this is the ancient greek concept called parousia which is the idea of the speak truth courageously or to like speak truth in the face of danger and I think like particularly in fiat world with what Rob was saying about, you know, like the farther society drifts from the truth, the more dangerous and, and heresy, you know, becomes speaking the truth. And, and like that's literally what's going on on a giant shilling point is essentially we're collectively awakening and being like, hey, this fiat thing's like utter fucking bullshit. Uh, and like, you know, the, the people in the fiat game are like, no, no, like it, this is the only way it can be done. And it's interesting because like the more we say it, the more that like there's this drifting that's like I find really fascinating. Like uh, and it's lining up in places that I didn't expect. Like uh, the the idea now of veganism to me is like such bunk bullshit. And it's not because like we shouldn't eat animals. It's like 
your solution is literally to like get gigantic conglomerates to like make some fucking freak thing of nature out of a lab to like feed people and like you you want to like be mining all of this fertilizer out of rock that took like millions of years to accumulate and you want to like spread it all over the topsoil and then like drill it in and like you want to talk to me about compassion towards animals when like you don't know the first fucking thing about animal husbandry uh and i thought it was really interesting that uh the guy the guy has a hunting show his name uh steve Rennell. like I, I was watching a movie with him and it was really great that there was some guy who was like you hunt deer and like you're you're an evil bad person because you killed the deer and he was like look dude he was like i can tell you right now that like even if you started trying to learn about deer today that like i i know magnitudes more about deer and their habits and how they survive than you will ever know and he was like, and I also have a deeper compassion for them because like when I kill them, I understand that they are sacrificing their life for me to get to survive. And that gives me a deeper and more meaningful relationship to them. And I just think it's so interesting that uh, like the alienation from things becomes like the justification for like why they're bad or different. Mm -hmm. And like, this is part of like lobotomized fiat world is, cause it's not just there, but like, you know, medical science is like trust the science you're like, you're not trusting science at all. You're taking an authoritarian decree from someone who says they're a scientist as the science. And I don't know, like it, it's just becoming funnier and funnier to me that like, uh, I feel like I'm the jester at like the end of society where like, I'm the last person that gets to tell the truth. And so like telling the truth is fucking hilarious that like magic internet money is going to save us from like these clowns who literally believe that like, you know, we're the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund and we love you and we're going to save you by putting you in massive fucking debt and destroying your society and making you part of our imperial structure. Right? That's, that's good. I, I said, the best is that these guys believe it. Too. Dude, I, I, I told somebody, I said, if I ever write a memoir, it's just going to be called I Don't Agree. That's my whole life. There's just people going around <laughs> telling me stuff and maybe just be like, no, I don't agree. Like I remember one time I was at a I was at a party, fancy party in Boston. There were all these fancy Boston people. And this woman from MIT was telling me that she was going, she was she, you know, she had a startup and they were going to put spider silk in the atmosphere and that was going to prevent global warming. And I looked at her, I was a couple drinks in, I was like, that idea is fucking retarded. And she was like, What? And I was like, How? How? How are you gonna do that? And she was like, We're gonna have like a blimp. I was like, that's stupid. How does it stay in the atmosphere? It never is gonna work. You know, and like she had just been living in this bubble where everybody was just like, oh, wonderful, wonderful. You're really doing something. Wow, good for you, right? And like she meets somebody like me who's just like, I don't agree. I do not agree. That's <laughs> stupid. And like nowadays we're being asked to agree with all sorts of things that are just absolutely insane. It's like, I said this on stage in Miami, but it's like uh, a reporter standing in front of a burning building pretending it's not on fire and you're supposed to also pretend it's not on fire. It's fucking on fire, man. It's, I can see it, it's right there. What, I'm not gonna agree to that. And then they're mm. like, if you don't agree to that, you're a racist. And you're like, what? I don't agree to that either. <laughs> and they're like, if you don't agree to that, we have to put you in a prison. You're like, then do it, Do just fucking do it at this point. Like, who gives a shit? I don't agree, I'm never gonna say that building's not on fire. It's clearly on fire, fuck you, you know? like. Well, this goes to show like the very real politicization of speaking truth in a world where the liars have control of everything. And, yeah. and what I think is more interesting is like it's accelerating to a very extreme place where, you know, John and your homeland, a bunch of people are like, 
hey, this vaccine thing's bullshit and we're going to go protest it. And people were like, cut off their bank account. Like, like people lost their fucking mind over it. Oh, and like what, bro. I just find it fascinating at how like everything's kind of twisting on itself. Like literally Obama, who, who's arguably the most powerful person in the United States, like just gave a speech about like, we need to be censoring people in the name of freedom of speech. And like, it's- One of the know, things- like, that I find most agree- like we, we can the whole like the house is on fire and you're telling us to say it's not on fire, but it's clearly on fire. Like that's that's maddening and incredibly disruptive to society. But, you know, to Rob's point, I think the even more egregious offense is. Like, as, as he said about the pragmatists, like it doesn't have to be a capital T truth. It's like it's true if it works as best if, as we can kind of make it work. But I think the purpose of that is when you combine someone who's established truth within themselves with the physical or phenomenal world, I think the kind, like, if we're here for any reason, I feel like part of it is to combine those truths such that together we can collectively discern more and more and more and more truth. You know, and this is at least my interpretation of like the kingdom of God idea, right? If you, if you, and, and actually, Rob, what you were saying earlier about um, the difference between the ascetic and the billionaire, maybe it's something like the ascetic uh, perceives a scarcity of God within themselves, and they try to alleviate that scarcity, you know, toward liber- uh, liberation. And maybe, maybe the billionaire is kind of pursuing, uh, trying to alleviate the scarcity of God in the world by accumulating more of the world or by discovering more of the world or by by conjuring up more within the world. And so I think, you know, maybe to answer my own question 20 minutes ago is like, I don't think, I think they're both two ends of a necessary spectrum, which is supposed to be, we align ourselves to truth as much as we can as individuals. And then we collectively come together to engage with the phenomenal world to find truth within it based on being those sorts of individuals ourselves. And so when the, when the mechanism for doing that with one another is so perverted, we're going to create, like, instead of the kingdom of God on earth, basically hell on earth, right? But if we can, if we can rectify mm-hmm. that, and I think that's why we're all here with Bitcoin, like, th- what might we discover in terms of both, like, because all those pragmatic truths are either pushing toward or being pulled by something, right? And so the, the, I think the more we can establish and maintain those pragmatic truths i think they're bringing us toward a greater truth ultimately or a greater clarity around truth ultimately and that's what excites me is like what might we discover and become both as individuals and as cooperating as a cooperating collective when our relationships with one another and the ways in which we both express and discover value are so pristinely constituted you know, and then we get a world that like we've we... seen this already, right? There's this. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, oh, I, w- I wanted to reinforce your point. Actually, it's like we've already seen this dynamic play out where like, the, the phrase that came to mind, which is probably from Peterson, but I'm not sure. All true maps must align. Right. So even these pragmatic truths or useful truths, they right. share something. There's some reason that they, they all point the same 
direction in a way, right? They're pointed towards capital T truth, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this, and this is why I'm so hung up lately philosophically on fiat itself, because fiat is putting opinion over truth, right? Instead of asking mm-hmm. questions and digging into something and figuring out a better way, putting your skin in the game and experimenting with what works and what doesn't work, dispensing what doesn't work, keeping what does work and iterating. We're saying, no, fuck that. I, this is the law. This is how we're going to do it. We're done asking questions. Like you either do it this way or you're, you're at the point of a gun effectively. And that's why the liars have control. We want to know why the liars have control in the world because they fucking stopped the process of truth discovery and substituted it with just fiat, the imposition of opinion. So it's like, of course we're fucking deviating from the truth. Like we've got a bunch of idiots telling us what is versus letting us figure it out for ourselves. Um, and all of that, and again, goes back to property for me. It's if property can be violated, then the liars can gain control, right? That's what they're doing. They're just saying, again, print more money. Like it sounds so good. It's almost like a euphemism because everyone wants more money. We don't have enough money. It's always scarce, right? Demand always outstrips supply. But when you print it, you're not solving that problem at all. You're not solving any problem at all, other than for those that could print it ostensibly in the short term, but you're creating more problems for everyone in the long term. And I, I mean, it's, it's as nonsensical as trust the science, which someone said earlier, what the fuck does that mean? It's like, Science is whatever has not been disproven through inquiry. It's like we have a bunch of hypotheses. You start chopping them down, right? Like, oh, well, this experiment disproved that, disproved this, disproved that. Whatever hypothesis is left just becomes, it ossifies itself as scientific knowledge over time. So when you say trust the science, it's like a fiat term. They're like, oh, don't ask any more questions. Just trust the science. Like, motherfucker, science is questions. What are you talking about? Like, you just spewing these blatant oxymorons and they're creating this false religion behind it and it's it gets so infectious that we have world economic forum now schwab recently tweeting out no more private property and no more meat eating okay (laughs) world economic forum he's in charge of the world economic forum there's no such thing as an economy without private property like it doesn't work it becomes a diseconomy Essentially, like, the, like literally, the Soviet, Soviet Union, $100 billion of inputs, $30 billion of outputs. Like, the, less comes out than goes in because it's a diseconomy, effectively. And yeah, I just, yeah. the, the Soviet I really Union with think pretend, this idea you know, pretend of, pass, of, pretend to of, work. Yes, yes, exactly. Right. So this whole human predisposition to self-deception and like i can just say what is versus actually having to deal with what is and we've actually deceived and deluded ourselves into thinking that works like that's sustainable we're just going through the latest um iteration of that but this time unfortunately it's coordinated and scaled globally so i think the consequence is going to be that much worse as long as we're just allowed to say stupid things that we want to happen, I just want to go with uh, free blowjobs on Tuesdays and free steaks. <laughs> the I'm definitely steaks, but if you're going to blowjobs, blow you know, I'm going to pass. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I mean, like to, on your point that like this is a globally coordinated thing at this point in time, for me, this is what's been helpful with Heidegger and other philosophy is that uh, like understanding the severity of the consequences at this point in time, like I sincerely believe that this is all eschatological at this point in time, like dealing with the actual end of times itself, because like what's going on on a human scale. I mean, first of all, the fact that like we're all thousands of miles apart from each other, like having this casual conversation with each other is not only fucking awesome and like talks to how great technology is, but like the fact that this thing in front of us is so fucking powerful and that, you know, then there's thousands of people watching as well, strewn all across the globe goes to show that like technology and the internet is really, 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 really fucking powerful. And because we've all been lobotomized morons that have been part of fiat world we're now allowing for this apparatus to capture us in a very very powerful way that like if we don't thoughtfully reorganize around like we're all going to be trapped inside of a digital cage forever you know like our great 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 grandchildren are going to be captured in this fucked up maniacal mess where klaus schwab gets to own everything we all have digital properties you know we're going to be living in in the metaverse which is going to be an absolute hell and so i think understanding that the internet's pretty young bitcoin's even younger than that we need to utilize this to essentially ex extricate the internet and save ourselves to be able to have this globally free society is really really important and it also goes to show why everything is so fucked up and why when people simply speak truth in the world now they get quote unquote canceled which, which you know to, let's give it the gravity it deserves it's not canceling like they're literally trying to destroy people's business careers and lives all the way to the extent of utilizing saying that you know this cancel culture is you know it ends with imprisonment or gulags and so not again not to get super fucking scary with people but what's going on is really really important because as cool as you know getting wealthy and making money is it's really important that we free society and we create a free global monetary standard. Cause if we don't like these insane assholes all want to put us into a digital panopticon where like they get to monitor us all the fucking time. And like, if you eat that extra piece of meat, like the police are going to show up and like fucking bash your head in. And it's really scary. But again, in the face of this absolutely terrifying monolithic thing, I sincerely think like we have this sort of destiny that we get to be like, yo, fuck off. And like, when you come for me, I want you to know that like my people have created rituals and ways to pass on my wealth to my children or my children's children or whoever else. So that like, not only do you never get to touch it, but like my people are actively going to seek revenge against you and what you people represent. Um, and that's exciting, you know, like that, that's really awesome that like we get to participate in this global <laughs> collective that's going to redeem and save humanity. Uh, and I really believe that. And it's going to be like fun and kind of slapstick. And, uh, you know, as, as we already know from Miami, like Miami was, uh, you know, like that experience was, was so nourishing and rejuvenating and soulful uh, that, you know, just getting to bask in that and share with that, uh, while it's scary to be here and I really have these moments where like I, the existential fear seizes me, uh, it's also really exciting. Cause like uh, I, and, and one thing I want to touch on too is that like, we're not Bitcoin maximalists, we're truth maximalists. And like, we only arrove at Bitcoin because of the truth that it entails. And like, while it may be possible that some, some other thing can overtake it, what I'm realizing more and more is 
What makes Bitcoin so special is how Satoshi produced it and pushed it out to the world. There, like no other coin has any founder, any story, any destiny similar to that. And that's super, super, super important. Um, and, you know, like I won't get behind Ethereum, not because of all of its fucking problems and stuff, but like the fiat that's inherent with how it's, you know, pre-mine was created. Like that's a crime. That's a fundamental crime that these people get to be like global monetary standard, but these assholes who showed up first that get to participate in the pre-sale, they all win the most. You know, like it's a, just more of the same fiat lie. Whereas Bitcoin has that proof of work at its base that's so important. You know, just reflecting on the atmosphere and how it felt to be in Miami. You know, as you guys know, I brought my dad and like, I think it was after the night of the beefsteak. So that was like the second night we were there, I think. And we we're just sitting around the next day and he was like, man, I can't believe how like, uh, enthusiastic, intelligent, polite, humble, like welcoming, generous, everyone is. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So now you see what I'm so excited about, right? You, you see how awesome this is. And I think, you know, so like those are the people that have unplugged themselves, right, from that former system. And now they're operating in, a, in this system. And to your point, Eric and Robert, you were saying about how things become so perverted, like, I think broadly speaking, and I know we all get in trouble when we generalize in this space, but being oriented most by truth and perhaps freedom as well. I mean, those are two values or principles that are extremely important in how I orient or try to orient myself. Um, it's a humbling thing, right? You, you, you humble your own notions. I mean, that's what fiat yeah. is, right? Saying no, not the truth, not what is real, what I think is, is true or what I want. And people are, you know, if, if they're not at the helm of this, that system, which most people aren't, they've certainly been deriving their signals and their conditioning from that system. And so there's been this like surreptitious, um, you know, virus of some kind in their mind where they, they believe they live in this relativistic world where there's, not, there's no truth sufficiently grand to be humbled by. And I think part of the reason why everyone in Bitcoin is so humble, uh, among other great qualities, is because they've recognized the truth of this thing and they, you know, they agree to be bound by it in a certain sense. And that is basically the antithesis of fiat and why there's so, you know, there's so much friction between this emerging culture system market and the fiat culture system market, because this one, I mean, it's like a perfect analogy is kind of like ego death in psychedelics, right? You're humbled by the power of that experience temporarily, you know? So a lot of people experience a loss of their perception of their, their independent self, right? They connect with everything, connect with God, whatever. And then you come down and you, you come back to your, your ego self-identifying person, but with a little sparkle in your eye or a little space between the awareness and, you know, the awareness behind who you think you are. There's a space there now. And that I think is helpful and, and healthy. And I think Bitcoin fosters a similar thing. People come in and it's challenging and it's, you know, painful at times, just like a psychedelic experience can be. But by virtue of once you recognize or understand that you're in the presence of or, or contemplating or attempting to understand a profound truth, you end up, you know, rightfully in my mind, subordinating yourself to that for the good that can come from doing so both for you and others. And as a result, you maintain that humility. 
And I think, you know, hallmark of why we're, we all like, it's a big love fest when we get together. You know, I, I sometimes define love as a recognition of the lack of separation between all people and potentially all things. And what, you know, what ego death is, what fosters that you, you could, you could explain that by saying, well, I've eliminated the barriers between myself and others. But I think, you know, that's kind of why the love fest is a, as it is amongst Bitcoiners, because at least to a certain degree, I mean, obviously we're not perfect and we're not all the Godhead all the time. We're our own selves, but we have that appreciation for, or we've all mutually agreed to be bound by, or at least humbled to some degree by a, a higher truth. And we're all basking in that and contributing to it and trying to understand it better. And that makes for a very different um, circumstance or environment than what is happening in fiat land where everything is relative and, and there basically is no truth that is humbling people mm. and people are acting really fucked up as a result. I, um, I, I had all these like same, same as you, John, like so many fucking great interactions in Miami. Like if you meet a douchebag amongst the Bitcoiners, that person is the exception to the rule that all Bitcoiners are cool, awesome human beings or whatever. And like, you know, usually people just want to come up and tell me their story. There's like a million awesome stories and like everybody's cool as fuck. And I always like give them as much time as I can and listen to everything and yada, 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 whatever. And like one, one guy uh, who I talk to occasionally, <clears throat> who's I think one of Rob's co-authors on Thank God for Bitcoin is uh, J.M. Bush. And he came up to me and he was like, yeah, you know, we were talking. He was like, oh, the family's moving back from Uruguay and everything. And I, all I did was I was just like, uh, oh, that's cool, man. Like, how are your kids handling the move or, or whatever? And he was like, dude, it's like so cool that you would like ask about my kids. It's like, of course I care about your kids, man. These are like little future hobbies. Like, why would I not care about them? They're an awesome part of the story too, you know? And it's just like a million interactions like that, that like, I don't know, Bitcoiners are the fucking shit. Like, what do they do at the Ethereum conference? Like fucking snort Skittles and jerk off to pictures of cats. I don't know and I don't want to know, you know? Like, leave me out of it. I, I kind of want us to go incognito to like some of these shitcoin comments just to like see what the conversations are like i, I just think it would be really wild because like I, I don't know like I, the same thing with me like the the nourishment that i get from these interactions with people and, and uh you know we had the same thing last year john but just a lot of people come and go, hey thanks for your work i really appreciate it, it helps me think deeper and, and go deeper on the stuff and just you know really great interactions and uh, like I since like I don't think I heard a goddamn peep about the price the entire time that I was at the conference, and I th I find it so fascinating. And like again, this is just part of what fucked up wow. clown world is about. Is that like we're all here talking about like our shilling point is money, and this is all about money, but it has nothing to do with money. We don't talk about money at all, and it's just I don't know. It's so much fun, and it reminds me of uh, like in the Divine Comedy when Virgil and Dante like get to the final level of hell and Dante's like, we've been like going for a fucking while, bro. Like, how do we get out of here? He's like, oh, check it out. There's like a trap door at the very bottom. You just whoop, go right back up to the top. You know, and I, I feel like that's what's going on with all this crazy shit that's going on in the world. Is that like, you know, if we didn't have Bitcoin, we'd be in, in the, the final layer of hell, like waiting for the fucking panopticon to come down and you know, eating our last steak that we'll ever be able to have. But instead, Satoshi was like, hey, did I, there's this door right here. So you guys can just like go right back up to the top. And it's like, oh, all right. Fantastic. Thank you. 
With that being said, you know what's really interesting is yeah, so the final level of hell was reserved explicitly for the counterfeiters. Isn't that interesting? As it should be, because that's exactly what we were yeah. describing earlier, that you start to create a representation that's meant to navigate you in reality, but it deviates from reality. So it's mm. you're, de you're deceiving yourself, right, by embracing a counterfeit whatever it is. Um, what if somebody I made just, a map? As Casey said that, nobody... Drive off a cliff. We would obviously be very mad at that person, you know? And for good reason. Yes. Fiat's the same thing. Yeah. What's happening civilizationally? And that's exactly what Fiat is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Brilliant what? fucking analogy for it. Um, when, when Casey, you said that nobody mentioned the Bitcoin price at the whole conference, like it hit me kind of like a thunderbolt. I was like, oh, fuck, nobody mentioned the price to me once at the whole conference. Not once. I didn't hear one peep about it. Not one question. But as soon as you go into anywhere in the fiat world and people see my tattoo or hear whatever Bitcoin comes up, that's the first question. So is it any, what, you know, again, you're like, you're locked in relativity. You're locked into this world of relativity. Like, what is this compared to that? This compared to this, this compared to that. But in Bitcoin, we, I don't know, we're like embracing something that's absolute and then it's changing us, right? Like it's act, like that embrace hugging intellectually or whatever you're doing to Bitcoin is actually transforming you from the inside out. Um, and I'm like, okay, so humility in the face of the absolute, which is the only proper response. Cause if you're having anything other than humility in face of the absolute, you're in for a fucking hard reality check. Mm. Now I'm trying to think like who, who else is like this? When I was in Kauai for 14 months, I got a little bit of exposure to the surfing community and I mean, those motherfuckers are humble too. They're very laid back and chill. A lot of them are Bitcoiners because what? They're out there like facing reality. You know, you go out on the ocean and the waves are 12 feet fucking high. You're not cocky and hot to trot. You're humble and you're picking your spots and you're, you're just a whole different person, I guess. And it seems to me like I don't know. There's some deep relationship relationship between freedom and let's say at least pragmatic truth. Like you can't get to pragmatic truth. If you don't have freedom, if there's something stopping freedom in any way, then you're just not going to get to the bottom of whatever you're trying to inquire about. And I love that you said truth maximalism because it's interesting. It's like, yeah, okay, we are truth maximalists, but it's not like I was a truth maximalist and then I came into Bitcoin. It's I got into Bitcoin for reasons mm -hmm. of whatever fiat pursuit, you know, oh, I can get, get rich or this is interesting or do a thing. But again, by embracing the concept of Bitcoin, it, it imbued me with truth maximalism, which I would also add, you know, again, truth and freedom. I have a hard time. I don't think you can have one without the other, frankly. You definitely can't discover truth without freedom. And I guess if you had truth, would you need freedom? I mean, isn't truth, the truth it of is. being human ultimately is that we're free. That's what love and reason and all these things are. Like it needs to be mutual, needs to be consensual. Otherwise it's fucking not, it's fake. Precisely. And, um, well, and like what you were saying about surfers, like the same thing is, is that it, it, I had a great conversation with Pablo about this. It, 
It's that you, you now are having an experience where you're encountering death and you have to be realistic about, I am going to die at some point, whether it's now or later. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being in face of that absolute, you have to think about, okay, what's the truth here? I can, I can fucking lie to myself and say I'm big hot shit and I can ride this 30 foot wave. And guess what? Now you're fucking dead. Um, there's a great documentary on Netflix about the hundred foot wave where a guy talks about, he was going to drop in on like, you know, an 80 foot wave and he doesn't gets absolutely crushed by the wave behind them. And he's like, I know if I dropped into that wave, I would have died. And I got real close to death anyways, but I would have died had I dropped into that. And I think that again, something different from the Ethereum community is they're out here fucking masturbating each other being like, we're going to live forever because we science. You know, instead of just being like, actually, why don't you just come to the fact that you're going to fucking die? And furthermore, like, I, I just want to point out, like, what a fucked up idea that you think that, like, how disrespectful to all of your ancestors who had to die and struggle through life, and how disrespectful to all of posterity to say, well, this all belongs to me now because I can live forever. Like, get fucked, man. Like, that is such a fucked up, thoughtless and hurtful thing. And not to mention that, like, I, I, I don't know, like, it, it's, it is so lobotomized and disconnected from anything relational to being human that, that I think, like, these are a lot of the very deep struggles that uh, I think are really important that by virtue of Bitcoin and like you were saying, Rob, like we, we you know, come for the profits, stay for the prophecy. I think that this is the stuff that iteratively reflects and inflects back on us. And this is what I'm, I'm so excited about reading Heidegger now and, and understanding his fucking mumbo jumbo that he's talking about, because he's talking about this event in human history that comes after nihilism, where we start to return to truth. And ha- as we return to truth, that reflects on our being and the beings of others. And that like now we start re- relating to being in this really powerful way. But it's all done through this process of self-concealment and restraint that helps build up and resonate being much deeper and more reverberating in each of us which we all seem to totally be experiencing and uh yeah i I just want to give credence to how powerful and important it is and that like like we're all participating in this wacky slapstick thing in our own important and unique ways and we're all appreciated for that as well (laughs) how how great there's like anywhere else you're just another cog in the machine whereas here like you're actually like a unique and beautiful person who's valued for your aesthetic contributions to the whole space you, you know what's yeah, interesting about add... like, the insight that people don't speak about the price at bitcoin events but when you're in the outside world that's all people speak about it's basically like inside the bitcoin event we know it we know that things are real we know that this is a real thing that's happening and in the outside world people are like is that real is that happening? How big is your God? Is your God worth $42,000? We're like, oh yeah, it is, baby. Like, didn't it used to be worth 69? We're like, don't worry about it. Our God grows two steps forward, one step back, and it keeps getting bigger. You know? <laughs> and they're like, what? And you're like, yeah, don't worry, I gotta go. Fuck you, I'm out. <laughs> There's uh, this, uh, you know, I love this idea of death being the only other absolute that we've really had to contend with as humans because you know obviously death like it is the instantaneous and total end of or cessation of all experience right there's a very absolute irreversible aspect to it but when we introduce 
fiat into the socioeconomic fabric, what do we get? We get fucking zombie companies. They can't die, right? And this is the problem. The problem is that they cannot die. If they can't die, then we can't learn from our own mistakes. We just keep feeding our own mistakes. Like it's a loss producing enterprise, but we'll subsidize it with stolen taxpayer money and just keep it going and deviate ourselves even further from the truth. And this, um, it, it's like, I keep going back to the, the God. We talked about this on the Mike Hill series a little bit, but this the etymology of the word God grounds out in the Proto-Indo-European root word gut, G-H-U-T. It has four meanings, um, two of which are to return or to barter and exchange. And I always think about the Bible, like the core message being to, to glorify God. And if we think that to glorify means something like to magnify with attention, then maybe at least one aspect of God that we can deal with is just the, to magnify exchange itself with attention, to increase the intensity of exchange, which again is to say, remove all fiat, just let people interact freely as much freedom as possible, as much exchange as possible, as, as roundabout of production processes as possible. Like the longer we make that production chain, uh, this is many hands make light work, the more rich we become. And so this, the idea of like truth being related to exchange or free exchange, again, we're back to freedom and truth. Um, and I just, and that is, isn't that the truth though? Like the, the truth is, we have reason. We understand that. We have a limited conscious bandwidth. We understand that. We only have so much attention to give to any project. We're basically single focus, right? Wherever you look, you see that. You don't see this or that. And then the other truth is by working together, we produce a lot more and solve a lot more problems than we do working in isolation. So the idea of just letting, like leaving that self-organizing natural process free without trying to attack it with fiat or control it or organize it from on high that's the key it's so simple but we've never been able to to create a situation where the temptation could not successfully exploit the process mm -hmm. the market process let's say but now bitcoin is is like a what is it? A, uh, an immune response of the market, perhaps? Like the market keeps getting, you know, violated by statism. So finally, it just sort of bucks off statism by making these these flow economic flows, um, uh, I guess, less disruptable or or distortable, something well, like that. And then if God is exchange in that etymological sense, and maybe it brings us closer to God by increasing the intensity of exchange. Well, I mean, I think if you, if you maybe admit that there's some rhyme or reason or order to life in the universe that we're not fully aware of, and I, I think you probably have to admit that, you know, talking about the map and the territory as we were earlier, like when, when we go off course, you know, and again, this is represented in all sorts of religious stories and stuff, but when we go off course so much, when our, essence of what we are and our perception and engagement with reality 
goes off course, it seems like, you know, the territory instills in us that upgraded idea that we need to course correct. You know, we would just call it our ingenuity. But of course, as Rob was just saying, I mean, everything is in relationship. We're in relationship with one another. We're in relationship with, with the world. And so how can, you know, we can explain it away just by saying, yeah, we, we innovate when there's problems. But the bigger question is like, well, what's happening there when we do that? Why is that even a thing that we do? Why is that natural? Why do we, why do we always kind of come back to trying to find the proper level to having the map, map, map the territory? And I think it's really interesting, the etymology of that word that Rob was just brought up, you know, because I think we have two, two relationships of exchange. One is ourselves with a higher power. And the reason why that's an exchange is because we have to, as Rob was saying, we have limited energy, time, and attention resources. And so how we decide to constitute a relationship of those things with something grander than us, perhaps more absolute than us, whether it be death, whether it be truth, whether it be God, whether it be love, whatever we want to put up there, maybe all those things. And then we have a relationship of exchange with quote unquote society, the interpersonal relationships that we constitute and how are those relationships mediated via how we exchange what's limited within us and what's limited within other people. And again, if you go back to these religious stories, I mean, what are they? It's how do you constitute the best relationship with the quote unquote absolute, the, the most fundamentally ordering forces? And then how do, you, how do you engage with others on a basis by which you've done that? And so, you know, it's, it, there's so much, I think this is why we're so interested again, because there's so much wisdom in a lot of these, uh, a lot of these former thinkers and a lot of these for, former stories and phenomena that have a lot of application in, in what's going on today, particularly around Bitcoin. And to the point about death and the absolute, I mean, I think that's another example of death is a truth, inarguable. And as a result, you benefit from humbling yourself to that truth. You can try to ignore it, but you'll, have a, you'll probably have a worse experience of life and the process of dying. But if you accept your death, and again, represented in philosophy, theology, shamanism, religious practices, if you develop a better relationship with your mortality, you're more likely to foster a greater experience of life while living. And, you know, of course, ease the transition to whatever comes afterwards, or e even if it's just the process of dying. And I think something is similar true to the notion of an absolute truth. And, I, you know, to the question of like truth and freedom, I feel like if you if you try to develop a perspective or an awareness or consciousness that is maximally receptive to truth, I think the way you foster that, or I think that that objective leads to ultimately a type of freedom or a type of liber liberation. And I think it also necessarily leads to finding that which is absolute. And again, I, I keep using the word humbling or subordinating yourself to it. Perhaps there's a better uh, word, but establishing the optimal relationship between that which is absolute and that which is limited in you. And that seems to be what fosters the best outcomes for individual and collective. Man, it's it's so funny because, you know, I, I was thinking about, um, you know, how the market maybe has like uh, thrown this error as per se that became Bitcoin as like an immunological response to, you know, the failures of the market. Like I was thinking about um, how, you know, DMT is the combination of a, a vine and a, 
MAOI inhibitor. And if you ask the ayahuasca arrows, they basically tell you like, how did, you know, there's like so many species of plants in the Amazon. It's like, how did you find these two and combine them? And they're just like, the plants told us, dummy. Like we just listen to the plants and like, it doesn't factor in our Western worldview, right? Like at all. And it, it just reminds me like this concept between like the absolute, you know, there's this idea that like we as human beings, we don't see reality. We just see a version of reality that's tuned for human evolutionary fitness. So, you know, survive and fuck and, and thrive. Like, that's it. That's what we're tuned for. And like the version of reality I see, it's just that. It's just human evolutionary fitness. And there is like this wellspring of like absolute truth, absolute reality that you can get in touch with by using like entheogens or whatever, like plant chemicals, or maybe you get access to it when you die or near death experience. I don't know, like meditation, maybe you can get there. But there's a more true, more real version of reality that's like this constant like wellspring for humanity that we can always go back to. And that's where we take fire from. Like that is the realm we take fire from. And, you know, like that, that like dance between like, when is it time to be part of the all? And when is it time to be like in your human evolutionary fitness and like in the realm of potentiality, like creating things here on earth so that they benefit human existence and you know make everything better for the people that come after you like uh and when do you when is your time over when is your like you know to transcend back into the the all or like the divine or whatever you want to call it like uh that's that a hero myth shit, how, like, how how, how yeah. do you act like a god and an animal at the same time and how to employ or deploy which when and in what way yeah. you know absolutely mm -hmm. and like humble yourself uh in the presence of something so above you you know and how do you act how do you give it the proper respect and reverence while also like utilizing the tools that you were given uh in order to make you know life here better it's tricky exactly i mean and you know let's this, let's be this. let's be like fair in saying that because we're talking about bitcoin having characteristics of something that which is absolute and as a result it's having that we are forced to conform to it and we're being imbued with perhaps its principles and perhaps it's drawing out the principles that are, constitute it from us and causing us to amplify them. And that's all awesome. But Bitcoin's not as absolute as death, right? Like if uh, Jupiter ran into the earth right now and hit out all the satellites and everything like Bitcoin's gone, but well, actually, you know, Death, human death, the concept of human death would be gone along with that. So maybe that, that was a, uh, that's a tricky example, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's, maybe it's not as absolute as the notion of absolute that we've previously contended with, but it's so much closer to it or so close to it than anything we've ever encountered or developed ourselves that it seems to be having a similar effect of com compelling transformation. And even more radical, it exists in, in the digital realm where there is nothing absolute. So not only is it more absolute than many things in reality, it is also more absolute than everything in the digital realm by a lot. Well, and it's, com the most it's combining all these, these fucked up things that like don't belong together. And like what like one of the other things important, like like it's a fucking clock. Like that's the thing at at that like it's. it's and not just any clock, it's like the most accurate fucking clock that we've ever came up with. And like, what, like, why the fuck is a clock doing this to us? You know, and like it, it, it's so fascinating. And like, like, why is this clock speaking to us in a language that like, not only is unsayable, but that like, 
it, the the words it says are like a kind of truth that's inviolable like i don't know like all this stuff is super fucked up and i love it you know and for me this is what the pursuit of philosophy is and furthermore that like again with the heidegger shit is in my opinion heidegger is describing all of this shit through like first principles philosophy and it's hilarious because like every other sentence i'm like underlying I'm like, bitcoin it's fucking bitcoin he's describing bitcoin you know i'm like I, I don't know. It's really, really phenomenal to me that like, and again, like maybe I'm just polluting this with my own thoughts, but like, it, it seems to be that, that what's going on is an extremely important process of first principles of returning to the truth through these mechanics that allow for us to unify around these greater ideals that in my opinion, in a lot of ways, this looks like quote unquote, the last God, not because it actually is a god in and of itself, but it's utilizing these mechanisms of truth to create a globalized shilling point that we can all interact with in such a profound way that like, I feel pretty confident that like, when my ass is dead, Bitcoin will still be around. You know, granted, it's still very young, but that's why what's going on is so fucking awesome is that like we're here in its absolute youth. We get to see it birthed out into the world. And not that there's not gonna be a lot of black and dark shit along the way, but that there seems to actually be this really powerful shilling point for us to organize not only around wealth, but the coalescing of people that have these same values. I actually think that's kind of like the secret that's even more important than Bitcoin is Bitcoiners who value a truth in such a way that they put their wealth into it. They actually put skin in the game in a much more meaningful way than anything else. You know, like we we can all go to church and be like, yeah, yeah, like, praise God. Like, leave me alone with your seven-year-old son for a while. Like, I, I, I love God. He's great. Super great. Yeah, but what yeah, is so. what is buying Bitcoin? It's sacrificing so, um, you, yourself, the emblem of your time and energy, i.e. your money, to the values and principles represented in Bitcoin with the assumption or the belief that you, uh, you're gaining access or to those values and principles. I mean, what else is, that's, you know, Bitcoin is all, that's what it is. It's us saying, oh, look, values and principles that expand the scope of what's possible for ourselves and for our interactions with the world. I'm going to subordinate myself, sacrifice my accumulated worth to that because it is so potentially valuable. And then, you know, the other kind of mind fuck is that what we conceive of as the world and even ourselves is all just a amalgam of ideas, right? And so like truth is just a word that we've come up with to represent something that's happening in here. Same with freedom, same with love, same with God. Like, you know, all these people say, well, there's no God and religion is stupid. It's like, whatever your argument might be there, this thing between our ears has generated that idea consistently everywhere for a reason. I understand that the word may carry some baggage, but the fact that, and all new ideas represent, they wouldn't be significant to us if they didn't represent new possibilities or new potential. And so when new things enter our mind, they're literally mind expanding, right? So, because our mind integrates the potential that they represent. And so when we encounter something that seems to be perhaps the purest form of truth that we've ever encountered and the freedom, uh, that it conveys, that it represents the possibilities and potential that it conveys. The reason why we're being so mind blasted by this thing is we're trying to integrate what its potential and what it represents into our mind that didn't have that before. And I think what we're realizing is it's a pretty massive upgrade to swallow and to contend with 
when you're confronted by something that appears to be what Bitcoin represents, the principles and the possibilities and potential that it represents is literally mind blowing basically. And our minds are still trying to contend with how to integrate that into our existing perspectives. By the way, I think I just wanna just, oh, go, ahead. go ahead, Rob. I agree with all that that was said and um, maybe to try and tie this together. Yeah, Bitcoin is just a clock ultimately. But the clock is a really big deal. <laughs> it's like, before we figured out timekeeping, we couldn't coordinate all of ourselves to dig and discover deeper, bigger things and do bigger projects. And and Bitcoin, ultimately, like it's an absolute clock, right? It's the first human creation that is indeed, I'm going to use the term absolute when we, we talk about the absolute fixity of 21 million or absolute scarcity i understand it's not as absolute as something transcendental like god but it's the closest thing we've created in the sphere of human affairs that is absolute and it's and again if it's a clock it's being used to deal with the original useful fiction which is time itself like we talk about time as if it's some kind of independent dimension in the universe but Based on what I've studied, it, it appears to be just a, use, a useful fiction that humans develop, right? There's this, everything's changing all the time. There's a thermodynamic change, and we, we just ascribe this meaning to it called time. It's like our experience of entropy. We just assign this, this useful fiction called time. And then money seems to be the technological layer we put right on top of that. And all of this, you know, the... Um, the original, I think the root word for religion is religio. I heard from Joseph Campbell, which means to link back. So in religion or mythology more broadly, we had this data compressor for the consequences of human action. Like we would observe a lot of um, sagas play out in the sphere of human affairs over time. And then we would extract from that the principles and that those become the archetypal stories, right? And that becomes the mythology. So we're, we're, observing ourselves across time and pulling out the key lessons that becomes a data compression of the mythology that we're using to link ourselves back to prior learnings. And what is Bitcoin doing? Bitcoin is just a blockchain. It just links back. It links back with perfect fidelity. So we know all the consequences of economic human action across the span of its existence. And um, I don't, just the idea of it being absolute yet also a technological mapping onto our original useful fiction, which is time itself. And then it's supplanting the state, which used the other absolute death to deal with human organization, right? It's like, do this or else. So it's like a new absolute, a tool that maps onto the absolute disrupting the status model of using, you know, death or the threat of death as, as a means of human organization. Um, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I feel like, that, like Eric there's like a software upgrade. Like, well, like, the, the, like once your mind actually gets that, like it does explode. So it's literally you're cramming in new software where you're like, oh shit, like we can actually like overcome this stuff in like a meaningful way. And like that actually works. And I think what's so funny is that like, we're at this place right now where like you try to like give people that software and then just go, they're like, wait, that's not even possible. Like how could, 
you know, and like, that's one of the things I find the most fascinating about Bitcoin right now is trying to, at least when I'm trying to like cram my crazy shit into people's head, it's just like too much for them to take on. They're just like, what, what do you mean we can like overcome all of this shit? Like, that's not even possible, you know? And it, it, and I think that'll ultimately be kind of the, the biggest quest in the long run is a lot of people don't want to take that software upgrade. Cause like it, it's really monumental to understand that like, we got a more efficient clock that like makes us do things for exchange a lot better. People can't lie and abuse in the way that they did from the base rock before. And that gigantic apparatus that's like fucking all of us out of all of our wealth that like we purportedly need to coordinate. Turns out we actually like don't need it anymore because we got this new software upgrade and people are just like, mm, get out of here. Can't. This is why I think that. there's also like a very compelling case to be made here for the fact that Bitcoin is fostering the accelerated evolution of human consciousness. And, you know, may, that's a big statement and probably a big discussion, but just to drive home the point of like a very oversimplified, and this is just one aspect of it, you can consider like consciousness or like your potential, the landscape in your mind of, of how you like the relevance of how your will might be expressed throughout space and time. Like that's kind of like your internal landscape. And so what does it mean when now you know that your will can be executed? Let's say you time lock some Bitcoin or a hundred years to do X, Y, and Z. Now you can, with a high degree of certainty, execute your will a hundred years from now. How much does that expand the domain of relevance internally of, of that like will landscape that we all use to orient our, and choose behaviors in the world, in the world, and which obviously have a massive impact on how we discover value and our value hierarchies and action and all that kind of stuff. And that's just like a way oversimplified example. And so if that is true, and there's all these different ways where this is expanding our minds, both, you know, in how and when we might execute our will and the possibilities of, of that, that for executing our will that might exist and all that kind of stuff, how much pressure does that put on however consciousness evolves, you know, because even though our brain is the same as it was, you know, 40,000 years ago when the first cave paintings emerged, right? Clearly consciousness has, has evolved, you know, in tandem with culture and ideas and all this kind of stuff. And you come into the world and you get that cultural software upgrade and Hey, Bob's your uncle. You're a person in the 20th century, 21st century, and you're able to act within that. So how much does this massive software upgrade and the, possibilities that it represents put pressure on all the mechanics of consciousness to upgrade themselves and to to become more fit or or to take advantage of the possibilities that this new software upgrade represents and i think the answer and then like look at all this stuff we said about the conference and stuff three years ago that was basically non-existent like i know like in small pockets huddle as you were saying like people were kind of mm -hmm. underground and when you got together it was cool but like from what I've heard and even my own experience, like a lot of personal change, you know, in people's lives and their families has happened in like the last three years. And some it's been like the last six months on any normal scale. And we're talking about fairly radical changes in perspective, more hope, more ambition, more energy, more enthusiasm, more connectedness, more beauty, more love, all that kind of stuff on any scale, like three years is nothing. It's inconceivable that that level of change can happen you know, on such a, in, so quickly. 
And again, I mean, there's there's kind of an interesting parallel to the, the psychedelic realm again, because people report that, you know, having a mystical or psychedelic experience can help reframe like 30 years of pathological thinking. And now they're, you know, they're more properly oriented in the world. They're more hopeful about the future. They're more emotionally stable, less substance abuse, all that kind of stuff. But if we just roll this out, you know, 50 years into the future, if that's like how much change has been crammed into three years and that, you know, the ball is very much just getting rolling here, in my opinion, how much pressure does it put on how, whatever the process of the evolution of consciousness is, how much pressure does it put on that? And seems to be like worth discussing at least. Mm. I, I think, I think that, uh, you know, we were talking about the Ethereum guys want to have immortality in the sense that their physical bodies want to last forever, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, that's being able to exert your will on the future is true immortality, right? To some degree. I mean, if you can make, if you can affect change a thousand years from now, that's pretty wild to think about, right? And so I think like, um, you know, it's like Eric was talking about, like, you know, people can't even, people can't even fathom that this is possible and i think sometimes when people when people do allow themselves to become open-minded to that concept they overshoot and they think everything is possible and that's like shitcoin land it's like oh we can do bitcoin went from zero to 42 so we can do everything we want everything imaginable like anything you can think of the world is your oyster and like no there are real constraints and physical limits here and fundamentals and first principles and like it's like the founding of america it's it's equivalent to the founding of america right if you're going to set up a country that's going to greatly outlast you like and you're going to affect your will on the future well you have to be a really studied person reasoned person you have to go to like you know you have to give freedoms in places where you wouldn't necessarily allow there to be freedoms in your time like you have to go to core to principle in order to even begin to think that you're good enough to have uh, your will you know take place like and affect things in the future and if you're not willing to go through that like rigorous self-discipline in order to come to the correct conclusions because these conclusions actually have very little to do with you and your ego but they are just what is and what should be uh, unless you're willing to do the work to sift through to get to that like you really shouldn't you don't deserve it you know I'm like looking at higher I think the this whole move, there's a really great passage on restraint. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kason. Well, Joe, uh, I, I saw I'm reading Heidegger's uh, contributions to philosophy, which also known as like the event, where he's essentially talking about like when humans return to truth in like the most meaningful way like it manifests as this like totality of a human event that occurs for kind of everybody at the same time. And that like, it brings all human beings back into their own consciousness and relation to, to like being, which he spells with a Y, which is like the most fundamental idea of like who and what we can be. And part of that is only done through self-restraint and, and the enduring and the enactment of truth as being and to me, like, the, this is what that same restraint is. And to, like, I, I tweeted about this the other night because I was reading this, was that, uh, like, to think of the sort of restraint that Satoshi needed to, to not only, like, mine Bitcoin and cultivate the whole project, but then to walk away. Like, it, you know, it's, it's literally a superhuman kind of restraint that, like, he made himself an example to all of us with and goes to show, like, what what our own personal restraint towards our vision towards the future operates. So instead of us borrowing a bunch of money against the future, 
we're actually taking that money we could spend today and putting away for the future. And it's like this whole reorientation to value restraint versus uh, like overinflated ideas about today versus tomorrow. And it, and it's it's really profound because it's it's this whole shifting and realignment of values in a meaningful way, which ironically, like, you know, we're, we're unlocking immortality insofar that we can actually reach out into the future and interact with it. But it's not because we're saying, hey, I deserve to live forever. It's saying I am willing through my own restraint of what I could spend and do today to give that to the future and for the glory that, you know, it could be. And how much more powerful does that land in the world when you think that <clears throat> that action is, you've willed that action, but you're no longer around to derive the benefit from the action. So it's like just pure whatever the action is. Like if it's a charitable action, it's like pure charity or pure compassion or pure love. It's not quote unquote tainted by whatever feedback would come to the the, the originator of that action you know because you've done it absent you being around to to accrue the benefit you know just an interesting thought no it's like i still have warm fuzzy feelings uh, for george washington because of this you know for who george washington right it's like <laughs> yeah, even though he was a slave owner <laughs> he was i um, he set I all wanted... his slaves free when he died yeah um, the you know earlier we were talking about the the Ethereum guys talking about surviving death and I they even say it more there's more um, BS behind it they talk about conquering death right like disrupting death and all of this nonsense you know the the idea of the individual consciousness surviving death I think is the fiat version of just creating a true meaningful legacy like realizing the finitude of your own ego egoic existence and therefore striving to live beyond it right you want to create some meaning that create life beyond yourself you know children mm -hmm. are, this is a very obvious path to this but there's also just the legacy that you create in the world and um i don't know it just seems to be another one of those like first order thinking problems we're like oh if only i could survive death like i like your eye is somehow this special indivisible whole and not seeing that i think that the best way to understand reality and if you take psychedelics you probably experience this directly like there is no separation right it is this stack of interacting patterns all the way up and all the way down yeah. everything influences everything else there's reciprocity across the board. It's all vibrational, uh, you know, frequency, energetic, whatever you want to call it. And I think for me that that helps me understand why truth maximalism, I think as, as Casey said earlier, was imbued into me by Bitcoin. It's not like I came into Bitcoin looking for the deep philosophical truth. I came in for came for the profit, stayed for the prophecy kind of thing. But once you get embraced with it, the absolute starts to permeate you back because you're just a pattern too. You're a pattern, but now you've coalesced to something that's a pattern that doesn't move. Like it's an invariant or a constant. It's very close to truth. So it starts to change you from the inside out. And that, you know, I think this is why this is, I've called Bitcoin as something like the capstone of capitalism 
And we've been looking for this perfect storehouse of time, energy, or even just something simple like favors, right? The economy, we're just trading favors with one another. Like I, I go and do a thing. If I do it well, I get some profits and I can go redeem, um, use that, those profits to redeem favors from other people and other lines of work. And oh, with Bitcoin, it's like instead of relying on, I guess, coercion to redeem those favors, where you're always like in the shadow of the law or, you know, use this money or accept this money as else, we just, we're using freedom ultimately. And it's something that, it's an absolute that people can coalesce around voluntarily. Whereas the state model was an absolute that was being imposed on people, like the fear of death, frankly, to organize human affairs. So, um, yeah, those Ethereum kids are, are just whacking the head because nobody's <laughs> going to live forever. That's like the zombie company equivalent of individual consciousness. Like accept yeah. your death, accept it with resoluteness, and then live accordingly. Very well There's, said. And- I, I don't just want to player hate on the Ethereum kids because at the end of the day, like I think they're closer to us than no coiners. And so like, I always want to create the opening to like welcome them. And like, I think, I think there's just some key fundamental errors in a lot of their thought. And a lot of it hasn't focused deeper on fiat and some of the, these other core things that are going on. So, so I, think I honestly, that's important. I honestly I mean, hate the, how much we've been talking about them, not because I hate them, but because it's so irre- irrelevant in my life that I'm just like, what, why yeah. are we doing this? on the death I, thing I, I think it's interesting because like there's this peter Thiel quote which is uh, you know he basically says that like death is natural and so people say you shouldn't fight against death and he believes that there's nothing more natural than to fight against death and i would just flip it a little bit and say there's nothing more natural than to fight for life but there is something unnatural about fighting against death you're supposed mm-hmm. to die you know, you're supposed to clear the way for the young. It's like Steve Jobs gave this speech basically about how evolution probably tried to evolve without death in the beginning and found it very difficult because it made no space for new things. And so there is no change without death and death is a constant and we need death and we should be thankful for our own deaths. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I mean, think it's me, the ultimate. Like, Look, Sorry, look at the world. Look, oh no, I was gonna say, look at the world around us and like the gerontocracy with that rules our lives, right? I mean, Joe Biden doesn't know what room he's in. You know, he doesn't know where he is, right? And yet he's doing that, the leader of the free. He's he's supposed to be the leader of the free world, and you know, it's like it's not his fault. Like, f- frankly, like if you look at interviews from of him when he was young, he was very sharp, very on top of it. But you're useful from about the ages of 35 to 65. Pre-35, you're just too goddamn stupid, like frankly. And I'm, listen, I said, I'm under 35 right now. I'm a retard. I shouldn't be running things, right? <laughs> under 35, you're too stupid. Over 65, you're too old and all your ideas are outdated. So you should get out of there. Like the battlefield, the arena is for people in the prime of their life, right? And we have all these old people basically sitting on top of change, not allowing it to happen and decreeing things left and right in order, like, do you think that we would have had the COVID response that we had if we didn't have a bunch of octogenarians running society? No, of course, because they're the most fucking vulnerable. And so these people, they basically say, well, if I'm at risk, then everybody should stop every activity that they're doing. We should put masks on toddlers. They're fully divorced from the world in which they inhabit. And they're looking to inflict pain on the young, right? And it's it's sort of like this 
you know, there's been more suicides amongst people under 30 than uh, like over the last two year time span than, than ever before in American history. And <clears throat> it's sort of like a weird culling of the young by the old. And it's just everything with fiat and the baby boomer generation and all the things that we know in uh, you know recent history, it's just, it's an error. We've thrown an error in the blockchain of humanity. You are fucking supposed to lead the next generation like what Eric was talking about earlier, you were supposed to push value into the future, not extract value from the future. You were supposed to leave more behind than you got. And the fact that we're not doing this lets us know that things are desperately wrong and they need to be course corrected. And when it's our time, when we are the old men sitting there and we have all the money and none of the ideas, I hope we all shut the fuck up and we listen to the young people and we go with what they're thinking because like our time will have been over at that point. Yes. And it's interesting, like, you know, in tribal cultures and stuff like the elders who are ostensibly like the most wise are not the leaders. They're the elders like you. The leaders go and consult them because they've been around for a long time and they've had lots of wisdom, but they don't have like the let's say the compendium or the collection of qualities necessary to truly lead. You know, and I think that speaks to, you know, your point there to some degree. And I think the, the whole like life extension thing. I very much agree with what Rob said. I mean, I think it's the ultimate like fiat or ego move. Like I need to exist into the future. Well, what, what is most eternal about you? What are you most able to, to transmute or express as an individual, individual, individuated self while you're alive? Like it's certainly not your sports team and your name and your preferences and all that kind of stuff. I think it's what we've been discussing this whole time. The things that are eternal which we are learning our best to orient ourselves by, which is truth, freedom, beauty, love, these sorts of things. And like, I think if you express them while living, that's how you access eternity. That's what living forever is, is being a vessel for those things while alive, such that it doesn't matter that much if you're around for 80 years or 800 years. I mean, like, and maybe it would be better if you could put that into the world for longer, but the very desire to do that kind of contradicts your priorities on on what you're around to do and uh so i i think again we we're totally. into this space where like people aren't sufficiently humble to the correct things they're not orienting themselves to, uh, properly let's say and it's causing all these perverse desires and ambitions like living forever and the final point rob was saying yep. about how there's this coherence between all levels of reality or at least that's uh uh something that's been put forward and it makes a lot of sense to me, kind of the macrocosm microcosm thing. That's what being, that's what having integrity is. It's being integrated with all levels of being in reality, let's say as coherently or as well fit as possible. And I think the reason why, when we say someone has integrity, we mean it as a good thing. I think that necessarily speaks to the goodness of creation of reality. Like, I don't think, if you're properly, you know, existing in the world and properly uh, existing with all those different patterns at every layer of existence, I think you have to operate under the assumption that like goodness is what fundamentally permeates existence. If you're going to say that someone who's properly integrated and say that they have integrity is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally, I, I mean, I agree. I, I got to ask, so like, you know, I, I love these conversations and I love you guys for, you know, woo, woo, woo you know, good, good feelings, but uh, I feel so like, like a butt. I feel like a butt like is coming. Woo, woo. 
Yes, but uh, what, what do we do now? Do we just keep doing what we're doing here? Or like, do, <laughs> like, I feel good about my work, but like so much of this has been kind of like this wacky creative process that's been out of my hands. I feel like I'm supposed to do yeah. something like more concerted and effortful, well, but like, I feel like that, question. You know, that's not even like to... my method of function. So I'm not sure what to really do. To some degree, I think that uh, early Bitcoiners do occupy like the elder position in a way. And that, uh, you know, if you've been in Bitcoin long enough, you've, you've been wrong often enough and you've found yourself off sides. And, like we don't really have like our, I, we still don't have a good handle around what this thing is. And so it's like, I don't know, my, my, what I've been doing recently is just like investing in Bitcoin startups and giving advice to young entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And just basically being like, listen, man, I don't, I've been wrestling, grappling with infinity for the last, you know, eight years. I don't fucking know. Here's the best I've come up with, you know, like, and that's about all like, other than that, it's like just clear space for the young, like this, this gatekeeping that sometimes happen happens in Bitcoin. I'm not a big fan of it's like, I, however, the young Bitcoiners, like the new guys, like they have a different bent on this whole thing than I do. And it's like, I think for me, it's partially just like step out of their way and just let them experience this for themselves, I guess, you know. What gatekeeping? And then I get, with, it, and then I get go, with you guys and I go, rah, 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 these young Bitcoiners, how dare they? You know, back in my day, we had to walk up hills both ways to get an open dime, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Eric, to your point, I mean, I think this is an eternal question. Like you're always at every stage of your life, every day, you're going to be asking this question. Like, you know, you wake up, you're conscious, you're free, or at least you have some freedom. What do you do? How do you apply yourself? How do you apply your limited time and attention? You know? And I mean, I think we all struggle with that, but I think it's right at the beginning of this conversation, we started talking about like, well, one, how do you orient your perspective such that you're sensitizing your awareness to notice what is most relevant? And then I think, you know, part of there's a faith in acting upon the things that produce the most salience to you in a certain way. You know, and also you have to, I think the whole like Buddhist or whatever thing about, you know, not necessarily desiring for or Taoist, you know, um, Taoist way of not necessarily desiring outcomes. I'm not saying like you can get away with that exclusively, but if you're orienting yourself properly and you're sensitizing your awareness to see the things that are most significant, you might just have to pursue certain paths without really knowing exactly what's on the other end of them. So if like, if you feel like spending an inordinate amount of time every day, like writing about something that you're not sure if more than a hundred people are ever going to read, well, maybe you should just go ahead and do that because the fact that it's so compelling to you and it's so it's capturing your attention so much, maybe that means something that you can't fully understand. You know, I often go back to um, Peterson, you know, and I like, I, I'm sure we're all big fans of his. I'm sure we all have critiques of him, but the fact that he wrote his first book, it took him over 15 years and he was not famous. Mr. Peterson. Then he was a fucking college professor and, um, and a psychologist. Right. And so how the fuck can you justify spending all that time? And that book is like a commentary on like, you know, it's basically the next level on religion, right? It's trying to really you know, produce, uh, put forward novel insights about human consciousness, value, meaning, religion, et cetera. And how can you go, go to that well every day for 15 years 
making sure you get it exactly perfect. Nope, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. Okay, that sentence works. On to the next one. Keep going, keep going. Your families, you're like, hey, Jordan, come. It's dinner time. I want to go to the park. I want to do this and that. Nope, this is, I don't know why this is relevant and I need to devote myself to it. And he didn't know he was going to become famous and wealthy and all the rest of it for it. He just knew this is, this is compelling my behavior in some way. I have to listen to it, even though it may be a complete sacrifice. Like I may sacrifice those 15 years and get nothing for it. And he didn't, that book was not like on the New York Times list or anything like that. He didn't get any notoriety after that came out. It was like two decades later almost. Uh, cause that was published in 97 or 98. And, you know, he popped on the scene on Rogan in like 2016 that he started to get notoriety and now, you know, he, he, he's done very well for himself, but I think that's a, I, I often think when I'm spending too much time thinking about these things and, and trying to articulate my thoughts in writing, like he didn't know, but he felt there was a value in pursuing it. And you, I think it, to a certain degree, you got to trust your gut. You do your best to see clearly, to develop a perspective that is optimally tuned to what's most important. And then when that produces a compulsion, like saying, hey, motherfucker, why can't you stop thinking about this? There's got to be a reason. You got to be like, yeah, all right, you're probably right. So I'm going to do it, even though it's creating a kind of chaos in my world or I can't rationalize it fully right now. Damn it, John. I wanted you to just like have a, a good concern. Yeah, like I, it's such a love hate thing. Like I, like I really enjoy when I get these like rhymosomes of, of great stuff. But then like nine tenths of the other time, I'm like, what the fuck are these people saying? Like, why, why am I reading this shit? Like, why am I? What the fuck is Heidegger saying? And yeah, like the whole thing is just this, this painful and difficult addiction. And then I let, like, I like hawk the motherfucker away. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> Like what? He, what was he saying? And I like go back and get. I'm like, oh goddamn. It's just, it's just it. It's fucking agonizing. And, and it's nice that now more people are like coming along. But like, god damn it, it's just, it's hard. But this, being, this is the pursuit. You know, of try, value. trying to explore this. This is kind of the pursuit yeah, of value. And I mean, like, it, and this is this is kind of the dark night of the soul idea. I who 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 coined that originally? Was it Albert Magnus? Right? No. I think it was Albert Magnus. I think it's um, actually. In any I case, I thought it was a religious I, term that was utilized before, but yeah, yeah. But Albert yeah, Magnus yeah. was like a, a like a fifteenth uh, century, I want to say, like religious scholar, philosopher, that kind of thing. Um, okay. Maybe earlier, actually. Maybe like, yeah, maybe earlier. But anyways, um, it wasn't like you know you have a personal difficult time and you got to struggle through it. It was not knowing precisely the value that you're you're trying to orient yourself by or move towards, but like finagling or, or falling ass backwards with your way toward it regardless, you know, and, and the highest value, let's call the highest value God, the thing that most orients you, whether it's, you know, building a business or whether it actually is some ineffable value. But in any, the dark night of the soul was like, of course you want clarity to be like, hey, Tell me what I need to do to be optimally satisfied and get to the place where things are going to be great and I'm going to be happy with myself. Just give me like the straight line and I'll follow it. Yeah, no, fu no fucking shit you would, right? But it doesn't work that way. You, you, the dark night of the soul is pursuing the thing of, of greatest value absent a certainty that you're going about it the right way. 
and there's something beautiful in the journey there obviously yeah you're you're in the middle now and in the middle you get lost that's that's what the middle is you know <laughs> things will be certain that's later yeah and it's all like no. i mean i mean this it, is still very early in everyone's journey but like you got to appreciate the type of love that you get at an event like the one we were just at i mean it doesn't necessarily give you the feedback to say hey man like you're on the right course double down but it would it at a minimum is probably not feedback that says hey stop entirely what you're doing and go in a different direction right <laughs> <laughs> i've heard that uh, one hey but by the way like you sound like a fucking moron you really need to stop and like check out these equity markets and things that, that's where that's where the future is yeah. i don't know it it's just amazing how, how often uh still just encountering people in the way I want to talk about this. Like it, it's so hard for me when people are like, yeah, like, tell me, I'm curious about Bitcoin. Like, give me a little bit that, you know, I have a, such a hard time, like, like reducing the no nozzle on the fire hose to not like blow their head off immediately. Um, Bro, I, I but, never you know, talk yeah. about Bitcoin anymore with anyone other than like you guys and on podcasts. If people ask me what I do. I tell them I work in media <laughs> or something. I just, I don't care. I'm not, I don't really care about orange pilling people. It's not, doesn't get me off really. I'd rather just have a nice exchange with someone and go on about my day. And, you know, if we do an activity together, like if we train together, if we fucking run together, whatever, that's great, you know, but they don't need to know that I'm a crazy Bitcoin person necessarily. So I don't, I just don't engage in it much these days. We're in that steakhouse last night. I overheard we're about to get up and leave we're paying the bill and there's a table behind me of like seven or eight guys talking about inflation and they're like well you see the inflation's really high so you know they have to increase the interest rate to keep the economy from overheating and he's like giving this long sophisticated and I've had I don't know like I said I had two glasses of wine and it's starting to get up to leave and I'm like I didn't want to say anything but then I had to say something I was like yeah, listen guys like I'm sorry, but everything you know, you think you My know about it. My name's Robert Breedlove. Inflation. Um, you probably US dollar, like every fiat currency, is a pyramid scheme. I hope you'll look into this. You know, Bitcoin is a vote against all this nonsense. Um, you're being robbed, basically, and I just loved it at that. Um, <laughs> and they seemed Mic a bit drop. flabbergasted, but uh, appreciative at the same time. They're like, oh yeah, thanks, I appreciate that um so i i agree with you i don't want to orange pill anybody but i also feel kind of impelled to just i mean that's that's probably a bit of an overture where i'm actually eavesdropping and interjecting into someone else's conversation but if someone's going to talk to me about inflation or concerns about the monetary system i do feel impelled to at least give them a limb of you know hey look at this thing that we all talk about forever maybe it will help you um, on the, there, there's an earlier point you guys are talking about what to do like now in, in the Bitcoin world. And I'm a big believer in that idea of just whatever interests you, whatever you're into, whatever calls you to action, you know, because that's, there's some fittedness there. There's some fittedness between whatever you're packing and what the demand is that it's calling you into that for a reason. And so the more you can step into that 
role, whatever it may be, independent and agnostic of economic concerns, I think the better it is. The better you are, like you'll enjoy the work more, you'll do better work. So your customers or whoever's on the other end of that will be happier. And hopefully that's what Bitcoin is like moving us toward where everyone's just doing the work that they want to the degree that they want and the amount that they want. I mean, intuitively that creates a much fucking better world. Everyone's happier at work. Everyone's happier with the product of other people's work. Um, and I, I, I use that principle really to, as a, as a litmus test for the conversations I have on the show, like I want to talk to people I find interesting. Hey, I'm really curious about this topic or book or subject. And let me talk to the person that I think would be a good fit for that. Um, I'm also using it to curate my reading list. So instead of trying to read things that, I don't know, other people may have recommended or if whatever reason you think you should read something, putting that subordinate to whatever you're actually interested in and giving yourself the freedom to like put books down, skip ahead, skip back. I think all of this is really important to just reading the right things. Um, and I don't know, I get, what, what are we back to? We're back to freedom, right? Like just this freedom to move around and try different things, sense different things and see what's fit. And when you find what's fit for you, there's some percolation from that. Like once I find the thing that's fit for me, I'm doing the thing I want to do. All of a sudden the people around me start to benefit more. So, you know, you want that for other people too. I want other people to be do doing what they want to do. Cause that means when I go to the marketplace to buy a good or service, people are showing up at my doorstep that are doing what they want to do. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm it seems sure. so fucking obvious in a way, but we're far away from it today. Yeah, I only because I I asked that because I, I well I asked that because like I I was vibing with people at the conference and uh, like I kind of got in my cadence of doing it where you know eventually I was like look like we're meeting like right now so like I can tell you I was sent by God to have this moment with you where I can tell you that like you need to contribute to Bitcoin in your specific and unique way that you have just shared with me and you now have a purposeful task to share that with the greater community and like. It just felt really fucking good to just go deep and just like throw off all of the bullshit and just go like wham. Um, and I miss that. And like, I, and again, like that's why stuff's, I want to say it's depressing out here. Like I, I love my life and where I'm at, but you know, it, it was so nourishing to just get to have these interactions be like, yeah, we're participating in the, you know, the recreation of all this goodness in the world and sharing it. And, uh, yeah, Rob, I, I, I think you're totally right in that, you know, we each have our own unique thing that we're bringing to the table, you know, and mine seems to be pursuing this kind of insane philosophical bent. Um, and as frustrating and difficult as it is, you know, like I clearly have some sadomistic relationship with it because I continually return to it. So I, I think, you know, push will wear you out if you're trying to push on the world to you know affect change you're just going to get tired you're going to get exhausted but if you feel pulled to do something like you're just going to keep doing it over and over and over again so i only do things like i feel called to do or whatever you know and like it's like i don't know man like fucking uh five years ago i wasn't american hodl this is like a fugue state i mean like still in the, my fugue state you know? <laughs> <laughs> just keep going doing whatever i don't know it just comes to me it's awesome you know i i think it's what you're all saying is like the freedom to pursue what you 
determined to be most valuable, not ultimately most valuable, but like immediately most valuable and, and a faith that that will lead to increasing value over time. And like, you know, maybe this is the idea of the logos or something, your ability to discern that and your freedom to do that. And Bitcoin is obviously granting people that freedom. But to your point, Eric, like I think a lot of people, and this is part of the reason why everyone wants to work in Bitcoin, you know, like once you get orange pill, people are like, oh, I want to quit my fiat job and work in Bitcoin is because we just weren't brought up, educated or conditioned to be able to contend with freedom. It was always like, do this test and take this exam and get on this career track. And this is how it's going to go. And this is what you'll get. And this is the status. And this is the money. And this is the family. And this is the picture. And that's what you're supposed to want. But when people can accrue, accumulate savings and protect those savings and know that they're going to be there for them in the future. And obviously at this point in the adoption cycle, you know, that you gain particularly from that action. Well, then you're confronted with something that a lot of us just are not have never been confronted with. And that's, hey, you're free. What do you want to do? You know, like what is going to fulfill you now that you the, the, the kind of monkey is off your back? Like and it's not an easy question. You think it's an easy question. To answer like, oh, I'm going to do what I want all the fucking time, you know, like hang out with my friends and eat chocolate chip cookies and watch Netflix and go to the beach and whatever. It's going to be wonderful. And you might do that for a little while. And then you realize, oh, no, that's not fulfilling. That's not meaningful. And so then the task becomes, what can I engage in? What can I give myself up to that's going to deliver to me the greatest meaning, the most value? And it's a, I think that's something that every, like we've abdicated, we've been forced to abdicate because we've been put in a, a, a position of artificial deprivation and a certain type of conditioning and education, all the different forces that confuse us and, and take us off that track. But I think a lot of us are, and more and more in the future, will come to a position, Eric, you were saying earlier about like the legacy of, of generations of families. Like certainly if we can maintain the accrued capital from one generation to the next, then you know it's not gonna take many generations before when you turn 18 in, in your family, your family can be like, look, you don't necessarily, like, you have financial security. So what would you, what's, what should, what do you want to pursue that's going to be most valuable or meaningful to you? And in this world that we're in, that's so fucked up and so deceiving and so corruption and, and lies everywhere. It, I can appreciate, I think we can all appreciate that it's not super easy to find the track of like, of most meaning of most fulfillment, but here we are now with the opportunity and our very dedication to that process is what is going to contribute to the building and the manifestation of that culture and future that we always talk about and dream of. It's people doing that and committing themselves to it that actually brings it about. So, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful question and it's a beautiful process. And I'm insanely grateful that it's been made available to us um, through this emerging phenomenon, but it doesn't mean it's not challenging and you, you, you you will not have the certainty at the outset. So that's why, as we've been, many of us have, have said, like you've got to establish as much clarity you can around the principles or values that you think are most validly orienting you and then allow your trust in your attention, trust in your interest, trust in your curiosity and go there and then put in the work, right? Lift the wood, carry the water or chop Dude, the wood, carry the water. One of the greatest things, John, like to the point you just talked about is that, you know, back to this point about greed we were talking about earlier is like number go up, 
you can think about it like as an unlock of humanity. So like every new, you know, order of magnitude, Bitcoin goes up, this many more humans get unlocked to go live their true potential, which like, isn't it fucking hilarious that this is the same argument that the communists make, that the AOCs make? Like, we're going to unlock your human potential. Like, Bitcoin's actually doing it, bitch. We're doing it right now. Huh? Get some Bitcoin, son. Come on. Like, we're, yeah. it's true. I, I just do Bitcoin all day long and whatever the fuck I want. I do Bitcoin. <laughs> I do things I'm called to do. I wouldn't be doing that if Bitcoin's price hadn't gone up. I can do that because Bitcoin continues to go up in value. The more it goes up in value, the more people get unlocked. It's ah, fucking beautiful. And the cra- the crazy it. thing is, it's like, it's not like in fiat land or even shitcoin land where you get that. And it's all about the self-gratifying endeavors that you might be able to afford now. Like you drop in on this conversation or in any conversation happening, you know, uh, at the Bitcoin conference around, you know, maximalist, truth, maximalist, whatever you want to call them. And everyone's like, what can I pursue that's more meaningful or that can help contribute to this thing or that like though that's what people are trying to figure out not just like how do i maximize gratification well the, the best for about- me is that the the schizophrenia of like finance and you know because like if you have a stock and it goes way up it's like oh i gotta cash out and like put it somewhere else and now i gotta have my 401k and you know like the fact that all that shit is just set aside and it's like Ah, like number went up some more. Like that's that's nice. Like good to have, you know, not even that it's really more security, but like that's just cool. Like now I go to my other and like I think that's one thing that fiat folk don't understand is that like there's not like a number that we cash out at. Like it's a fucking one-way street and that that's it. And that's what's so satisfying. The number is, that is zero schizophrenia of financing. Yeah, that is the number we cash out at. It's zero. Well, it's um, it's it's either zero in Bitcoin or zero in fiat. One of them is going to be worthless at the end of the day. So we'll cash out that. You know? That's how I'm going to answer the question from now on. Is the, What price is it? Zero. It's when yeah. fiat is worth zero. That's when we cash out. Yeah. The, you know, I, we keep talking. Keep going back to this. I said earlier, like, um, it's all patterns, right? So one of the things that I think has really been deeply viewed upon me by being in Bitcoin, there is no way between the reality that you want or imagine or desire and its realization other than work. Like there is no, that is the soul path. There's only one path. Like you're at A, you want to be at B, well, fucking guess what? You but you're gonna be doing some work. But we have this fiat reality where we say, oh no, you can just, you know, there's a self-deceit here that we can just impose our opinion on others to create the reality that we want. There's too much carbon in the atmosphere. So we're gonna tax the carbon producer and that's gonna solve the problems. And it's 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 again, it's it's an inversion of this reality where you have to work to move from a to b and instead you can just yell about your pronouns or your political beliefs and you know threaten to beat people over the head to create your desired reality not acknowledging all the externalities that creates like you can't you're you're imposing on people so they're going to go elsewhere they're going to deceive you they're going to it's just it's this 
endless process of, of deceit. And so the, this idea of work, like, I, I guess if you had to boil it all the way down, like what is Bitcoin or what is it doing to us? It's just reacquainting us with the noble pursuit of work. Like you need to get off your ass, use your mind, use your hands, work intelligently, work diligently to create the reality that you ultimately want. And when you synthesize the plurality of people doing that and remove as much coercion as possible, right? Where if someone does want to say, take from you, they don't really have the ability to do that. Then that creates the best world. That's the kingdom of heaven thing. We always talk about in my estimation, Mm. people think we sound like crazy loco. Oh, you're trying to make heaven on earth. That sounds like, you know, some type of sacrilege or whatever. I was like, no, I'm just saying the closest thing we can get to a metaphysical heaven within physical reality is something like this world where we're all doing what we want. We don't face the um, risk of violation of our property by the whims of others. And we're all incentivized to just to, to move and to act intelligently in the world. Like that sounds pretty fucking great. And Bitcoin may not get us all the way there, but it is such a catapult forward. It's hard to, to overstate. I think one of the reasons I agree with you, Rob, and I think one of the reasons why you hear in a lot of different traditions that like work is not glorious. I know there's a lot of fucked up like stuff with communism where they kind of hijack this notion, but work is the decision to take a certain action inherent in that is a value judgment. And so work can be construed as which values or ideals are you going to elevate through the application of your scarce resources? Now you might say exclusively me, that might be an answer. And I think maybe that's a very fiat or egotistical approach to say all the, all the activities that I engage in, all the sacrifices I make are for me. But you might also say, well, actually I think the ideal or the principle or the value of truth or of freedom or of love actually supersede my, you know, the notion of me. And so when I take work, I'm actually going to glorify them by sacrificing what I have toward those ends or elevating those ideals by either speaking the truth or contributing to something that, you know, brings more of those things into the world. And so again, you're, it's like a very sort of religious notion because you're giving something of yourself to see something else rise. Now, it's always a mix, right? Because we do things for ourselves necessarily. We're physiological beings in, a, in, in the world. So we have to do things to feed ourselves and get enjoyment and emotional stability and all the rest of it. But an element, I think, of at least what we all aspire to do is to have the sacrifices we make contribute to the elevation of things that are more eternal or grander than ourselves, basically be vehicles for their elevation or expression in the world. What we do in life echoes in eternity. There you go, baby. Amen to that. And again, uh, we've talked about truth a lot today, but just it is consistent with the truth, right? Like the truth of humanity is whatever one person figures out, the nature of knowledge or information or human reason, if you will, like one guy figures it out, one guy figures out the wheel or electricity or whatever the earth-shattering innovation, then it propagates forward virtually indefinitely as long as we don't slip into the dark ages again. 
So honor that, honor that principle that the guy got the fucking electricity or the wheel with, which was freedom, human reason, private property, and just let the rest self-organize versus the state model of I'm going to beat you over the head, organize things and draw an invisible line. If anyone crosses it, we're going to blow them up. We'll take their money. You know, like all this, it's just, it's, um, I don't know, moving away from this self-defeating cancerous behavior in humanity and towards just human flourishing, right? Acting as a single organism in a way, something like that by having an inviolable neurotransmitter of money we call Bitcoin. Amen. You know, it's, it's interesting, Rob, and I thought you did a great job with Peterson. He's obviously notoriously difficult to cajole and like keep on point and on topic and not let him just take up 45 minutes for like a simple question like what are you working on these days or something so like I commend you for you know hitting some of the big questions that you wanted to hit and reining him in but it was interesting to hear him kind of contradict himself I felt when he said you know like yes of course emergent order is by far the more sustainable and the better order than a top-down you know plan and control sort of thing but then one of his concerns with Bitcoin is like, well, if you need someone to step in, nobody can step in. And do we really want that? You know, and I, I felt like those were kind of mutually exclusive. Like, is it good that no one can step in or isn't it? And what type of order do you want established? And um, yeah, I, I just I wanted to say that earlier. So I'm bringing it up now. I also wanted to ask you just what was it what was it like for you? You know, you pulled off this massive coup and doing a live thing with, with Peterson and we didn't have much time to chat afterwards, but um, you know, how, what was it like? That's, you know, 200 people or whatever it was showed up to listen to you have a live discussion with Jordan Peterson. Yeah, I think, um, you know, first there seemed to be this, he has a thing again about, Bitcoin and the, the implications of it, that they're just so profound that he defaults to this answer of like, oh, it could never work. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what that means exactly. It's almost, I mean, I guess you could have been looking at something like the American Revolution, which is like the rough analogy I had in mind. And you could see it starting and be like, oh, this thing's never going to fucking work. Who, are, who do these people think they are? Right. They're going up against the greatest imperial power on the planet. And this little ragtag 13 state bullshit is going to fight against these people. What are you talking about? But, you know, it did work out and you know, whatever history changed. So I, I haven't quite got my head around that. But as far as um, the actual experience of doing the thing with him felt very smooth and intuitive to me i think we had 650 or 700 people there like i had a lot of help with the event i could give unlimited shout outs right now to everyone that made it come together um it was just a, a dream and a vision but it, it came to fruition thanks to the help of, of so many people i did this weird thing to prep for it for the week before which is i just listened to a lot of peterson podcasts I've, I've already read a lot of his work, so I started reviewing the Maps of Meaning PDF, which I think, Dallas, I've shared with you. We've got all these highlights and notes in it. And so by the time we get on stage and he's talking, I almost had the ability to preempt a lot of his thoughts and perspectives because, like, mm -hmm. I, I know where he's going with this, right? Like, a, he starts down a, a particular path, and I'm like, oh, I know this. I know this. I know that. 
Um, and I think it helped a lot, but there was still, when I reviewed our episode, I still, like, it wasn't, I think I could have done better. You know, maybe I'm being hypercritical myself, but he still dominates the conversation. You know, you're trying to get a question out. It's multi-step and he'll interrupt you at step three of eight and interject yeah. something else. And then you're like trying to deal with that tangent and get back to the original point. So I hope it came off really well in general, but I think I learned a lot in the process and, you know, I hope to do it again because ultimately when I say do it again, I mean, do this type of event with other um, prolific thinkers, just live. I think, you know, live dialogue of any kind is very important, but the live dialogue is a whole nother totally. game because mm-hmm. the, you know, you're, you have the dialogue between the two people, but then there's the dialogue with the audience in real time. And, and uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I, saw, hope, I hope Peterson becomes thoroughly orange-peeled orange over the next couple of years. On Twitter, I think yesterday that something with Peterson and Sailor is in the works. Now, that's one of those things that, like, everyone would get super excited about. It might just be a total flop because they, they're not they're, – their <laughs> communication styles are not very compatible. But is that something that's actually – in the works so so the original idea for this event was actually going to be um myself interviewing peterson and sailor but sailor said something really interesting to me when i pitched this and he goes hey you know it's a really bad look for a billionaire to charge money to an event to show up and talk about money i was like oh okay that makes sense <laughs> and so he agreed so he was like i would love to do this but it needs to be a free event and needs to be free for a million people on YouTube or whatever else, which again speaks to his deeper principled approach to the world that I admire and respect. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I met with Peterson in the green room and we started talking about what we're going to talk about, I just put my cards on the table and said, look, one of my ulterior motives today, I had a few, one of them is to connect you and Michael Saylor, because I think you two are two of the most brilliant living people on earth. And I don't care if this is on my show, your show, his show, in private, whatever. You guys just need to fucking talk, frankly. So um, when I say it's in the works, that's what's in the works. I'm just trying to get them talking and trust that whatever needs to happen will happen from there. So. Cool. Well, I look forward to that. Um, I know you probably all have to leave. So any last words before we shut this one down? I feel like it's been ages since the last one. When was it? December? It's been a while. Yeah. It's been a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you just got to keep fucking hodling, bro. Uh, hodl when it's exciting, hodl when it's boring, hodl when you're sad, hodl when you're happy. Like, just every day, listen, you're gonna wake up every single day for the next, you know, 5,000 days, probably hopefully for the rest of your life, and say to yourself, Is today the day I sell Bitcoin? And you're gonna look in the mirror and respond, No. And when you get to the end of that life, it sounds like a pretty good fucking life, you know. And you're gonna, you're gonna stack all the while, as hard as mm-hmm. you can. Eric, Rob, any last words? No. Can you guys even hear me right now? My fucking audio. Yeah, we got you. Yeah.
Okay, good. Um, yeah, keep hodling. Uh, join <laughs> us. Like, participate in, like, on, like, whatever crazy fucking way that you want to contribute, just do that because that's all that I'm doing. And so I hope you'll also do that. And it's good. Yeah, I don't know. This whole shit's just wild. And I'm just really happy that I get to be here and participate and that I'm not just like on my lonely journey anymore. So, and I love you guys and getting to do these hot hangs. It's great. And yeah, it's, uh, it's just always fun. And yeah, it does feel like it was like three years ago that we did this for some reason. Yeah. It, we all need to end up in uh, the Redwoods on psilocybin up near Eric's place. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. That is really seems to want to do that. So, so we'll, we'll let's coordinate with in our telegram and figure out a time for everybody to do that. Cause, uh, uh-huh. yeah the other is we can we could like the other one i thought is because a bigger one is i want to rent out of hot springs and like you know get like 120 people to do it but a more intimate yeah. one is i should just rent i should rent like a smaller house and we should get at least the four of us and then maybe a, a handful of other select people that you think and 120 uh, you know, just people hang out for like tripping let's, is let's, let's quite do, yeah, let's, a hornet's nest of uh, potential disaster yeah yeah so <laughs> no, it'll be great it'll be great john and when people show up we'll just be like you're not a cop are you because you gotta tell us okay yeah it's the rule <laughs> but i think i think something smaller a little more intimate with maybe eight to ten people you know us and a few other select people within uh our, our cohort could be pretty fun so Let's wrap more about that uh, in a private group and uh, see where that goes. Because, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to have you guys up here. You know, I was thinking about uh, this morning I went for a walk out on the bluffs, you know, and I was just like looking at the beautiful clouds and fucking whales out there doing their spouts and fucking seals. And I was Amazing. like, why am I not sharing this with my all my friends that I love? So, yeah, come up this way. Let's do it. Nice. We were, we were arm in arm at one point as our that last event at Sailor's Barbecue and there just seemed to be no perceivable friction at all you know like I don't know what it is love baby you just know that they know that what you know and it's like fucking what there's no blockage you know you're just like oh this came up and here it is and then you throw it back and so to try and create more of that in the world seems like a really good idea. I, I don't just, and I don't know, I've been using this kind of moniker, the, the raising an army of educators, which is just orange pilling more people that can then orange pill others in their own unique vernacular or filter or whatever. That seems like a really good idea. And as far as uh, holding, you know, just strive to sell Bitcoin only when you absolutely have to. And then you'll probably never have to is my general philosophy. And this applies, I think to almost anyone, if you're, you know, making more money than you're spending being pragmatic and you're buying Bitcoin and holding Bitcoin, then you just keep doing that until Bitcoin is money, you know, and then that's it. That's the whole game. It's very simple, but, um, yeah. Amen. Well, I don't think I can add anything to that. So I'll just say that I love you all. Keep up the great work. And I can't wait till we chat again soon, either another one of these or in person. It was awesome at the conference to hang. It sure was. Uh, so fucking good, man. I needed it. I love that. Shit. All right, boys. I'll talk to you so soon. Good.
See ya. All right, boys. Be well. Much love, guys. Bye. Bye.